Hello, welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. On this episode, I took a long look at the complicated racial history in Germany with Nin Yamamoto Masan. I was first introduced to Nin by Carol Zhou, who I interviewed on episode 12, which I'll link in the show notes. Nin is an artist, practicing theorist, researcher, translator, radio maker, activist, and community organizer. Growing up in southern Germany, and going to France for university before ending up in Berlin, Nin has a unique lens through which she views Europe through her French-Japanese identity. Throughout our conversation, Nin demystifies the idea of a liberal, progressive Germany and questions the power structures embedded in an English-centric and capitalistic art world. Our discussion is long, but I thought it was necessary to set the stage up for a history that I am not familiar with as an American. As a warning, some of the topics we discussed contain intense and disturbing language. I also must apologize for my occasional coughing as I was getting over a cold at the time of this recording. There was also some work being done in the apartment next door. I did my best to fix it all up in post-production. Lastly, for my next episode, I will be releasing it a week from now, as opposed to the usual two-week increments due to scheduling reasons. So keep an eye out for it. In any case, I hope you enjoy this. That would be really cool. All right. um, So right now I'm interviewing Nin Yamamoto, and then I also noticed... Masson. Masson. Yeah. But I didn't realize it until I was looking looking you up on your website, Mm -hmm. because I think on your Facebook... You don't have the Masson, right? No, I, d- I just have one name because I don't, I don't know, because like I don't want to have my full name on there. Because okay. my full name is actually Nin Eglantine Yamamoto Masson. Okay. And that's just too much information for Facebook to have. You know, I don't know. <clears throat> Although it's also- Nin Yamamoto is pretty unique. I think I just typed that in Google and it went straight to your artist True, website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, so you know, just so you know if you're, if you're worried about that. Sometimes uh, I joke, like sometimes somebody will be like, oh, so what do you, th- what do you think, Nin Yamamoto? And I'm like, I'm just going to go and ask you eight other Yamamotos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but it's kind of because um, Yamamoto is a super common name in Japan mm-hmm. and Masson is also a very French name. Mm-hmm. So it's like the two combined are so... Yeah. Yeah. So right now we're in Nin's apartment in... Is this Kreuzberg? No, it's Neukölln. It's Neukölln. Oh, it's definitely oh, okay. Neukölln. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're in Neukölln. Sorry. And she graciously allowed me to talk to her interviewer. I met Nin first through Carol Zoe, who I actually just interviewed. And Carol met you th- through the interwebs, mm-hmm. from what I understand. And yeah. when Carol visited me in Berlin, that was actually the first time that Carol ever met you. And also because like, at some point with Carol, we, we realized that we were both like um, funks of color, like Asian funks, which is like, for me, always such a pleasure to meet others because I did not grow up. Like, yeah. It's always so cool yeah. to meet other funks of color. Yeah. I think I was just talking, I was, I, well, I just released that, in, that, that episode with Carol. So I was re-listening to it and she was like, yeah, so nice to be in UCLA. And like, it's like, oh, there's such a thing as Asian punks. 
Yeah. Know? Right. Exactly. But like, it's hard. It's hard because you're just surrounded by this idea of like Asians being like doctors, lawyers, scientists. Mm. You know, um, what else? Engineers. Right. Yes, but like if you grew up in Europe, there's not even that. Like, well, there's no Asians. You mean. Well, the thing is, like, there's not even these these ideas that Asians will be like lawyers or engineers. It's like there's no idea nothing. about Asian. They're it, just like yeah. maybe at most, maybe a cook or waiter <laughs> oh, great. in a in a in a pan Asian restaurant. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's the representation. Oh, great. Like there's there's not even those like restrictive <clears throat> representations as there would be in in the in in Turtle Island. Like yeah. here, it's like. I don't know, nothing? Or like somebody's arm candy wife, maybe? They're both te- quite terrible choices. Yeah, yeah, it's really odd. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah, so, I mean, since we're talking about names, and mm-hmm. you have a Japanese name and a French name, do you want to talk about where you grew up? Mm. Um, yeah, your background, how you got to Berlin? So Those are all big questions, so you can meander how you want. Okay. So I my my mother is French and my father is Japanese and they both met I think after they were done with university and they met uh, learning German at the Goethe Institute mm. in in like a small town in Germany and that was in the seventies I believe they just, the mi- to, they just wanted to learn German is that why they were here or. Yes. And also to be honest, like travel, I, travel probably enjoy no, life. No, but it's like I don't I don't know how I feel about like people of that generation being interested in Germany. Hello, <laughs> you know? You know? I don't know. Is this time better? Hmm? Is now better? Uh no, exactly. Like I don't know. I don't know to, to be honest, like I don't know who would be interested in like German culture or Germany, but anyway. <laughs> but so like no, but like so both my parents are very conservative, mm-hmm. and like especially you know like somebody like my mother who would be somebody who grew up uh, after after the war. I mean both well, my father was born in forty four, um, so, yeah, right, right, before right before the bomb fell, mm-hmm. and and uh, my mother was born after the war. But like in like so my mother was a student in the 68 was it a student was a student i was literally at university uh, in the in the in during the student revolt and everything and mm-hmm. like the uh, all of that and she was the opposite <laughs> what do you mean so, like she was against the oh yeah yeah she oh. was very conservative very very far, very right wing mm. very asking like demanding that france get its colonies back wow. but, you know in a uh, quote unquote so my, yeah. my situation is a bit odd because usually other people who are multiracial um have parents who had some degree i suppose of um i don't know like a liberal a liberal stance yeah. maybe left the center hopefully yeah hopefully i think in my case it was just a big misunderstanding i don't know <clears throat> anyway <laughs> but so yeah, and like I was born in the Netherlands, which is super random, but that's because my father couldn't find jobs in France because France was so racist, mm-hmm. or still is, right? But um, it was hard for him to find a job, so we ended up in the Netherlands kind of randomly where I was born. Mm-hmm. Like continued moving around because of those issues and then ended up in Germany where I went to high school. But at first I didn't speak any German. At first, and how, you, but you reached Germany in high school. No, I was friend, first. I went to a French primary French school in in Germany, 
And then I got thrown into German high school without okay. speaking a word of German. Okay. Or maybe, okay, maybe I spoke two words. But up to that point, were you speaking French and Japanese? And then my, my father stopped speaking to us in Japanese when we were very small, I think. So you only spoke French at that point? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And the, it was also different times when, like, because we were moving around and my parents, my mother thought that too many languages are not good. And I think that was also the stance of, I don't know, child psychologists who are, of, who, who were, of course, like the, of course, the ones who were They're famous all, all were ways. all monolingual people. Yeah, yeah. So of course they were not positively inclined towards multilingualism yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, you know, like people, people internalize that. And then they were like, wait, there's too many languages. Let's just cut out Japanese. Right. Mm. Because, because it's not, it's not because also, language. yeah, and also because like the, the this I, this dogma of assimilating and like erasing everything mm-hmm. that is other was so strong, and still is. But like now, there's a bit more pushback. I think, <clears throat> yeah. Now it seems like at least there's a push for multi-language. I think so. I think maybe now there's I mean, more care to like also preserve aspects of other cultures yeah. and and nurture that and try to be proud of it and yeah. not to completely try to aggressively whitewash everything and you also know it's working when you have white families hiring ethnic nannies mm-hmm. to teach their kids some random language mm-hmm. you know true 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 well it's also i mean it will be seen as a as a plus if it's a white kid who then also on top of that speaks portuguese right mm-hmm. or yeah. then it's going to be great but if it's it's going to be devalorized if it's somebody who is Brazilian and whose native language it is. But then, right, like, there's a difference in like what yeah, that, what that, kind of value yeah. this takes mm-hmm. on, yeah, and what type of privilege it shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so like, I was I got I got thrown into German <laughs> into German high school without no understanding anything, so I was completely lost at first. But you know, I was young enough to learn, and I learned um, English and German at the same time because it was around around the same age. And uh, what were your parents doing this time? Were they still trying to find jobs? They... My mother was a stay-at-home mother. Uh, well, and and my father was working nonstop, like whatever job he could find. Or he what? was by then he was uh, he had found a job as a in a, in a Japanese company that does import export of tool machinery, and so like the the market for that or like the pr- production happens in the south of Germany and and Switzerland. That's why it was good for him to be stationed where we were in mm-hmm. the south of Germany, and he would um, coordinate or like be the the person sort of in, in charge of that of like sending those tools or machines to Japan mm-hmm. to to like the big all the big clients like Sony. Mitsubishi, Yamaha, Citizen, like all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's why I went to that's why I went to high school. But like the high school I went to was almost entirely it was also like a Catholic girls' high school. It was all girls' school. <laughs> yeah. It was like an and, and like I would probably say Isn't that a rarity in Germany? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, German all... Ger- German Germanies are like Germans are pretty atheists, I thought. Mm. <clears throat> or religion isn't like officially officially it's a secular country but it's 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 totally a christian country mm. 
like there's spaces, there's areas where Protestants are strong, uh, um, are more dominant. There's areas in, in which Catholics are more dominant, but like it's definitely a Christian country, mm. even though they're like, oh, state and church are separate. But it's like the, the state asks you to pay taxes based on which denomination of Catholic of Christian church you belong to. Like if you if you're Catholic, you pay an extra tax to the Catholic church, and if you're Protestant, you pay an extra tax to the Protestant church. And then like if you're Muslim, I don't think they will levy a tax on you. But it's just so, because so basically actually... like the, the this like spiritual religious service is in a way somehow tied with the state. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like, if you don't want to pay the tax, you have to formally ex- exit the church. It's, uh, mm. yeah. But yeah, Germany is definitely not a secular country. It's mm. very, very, very Christian. But usually the schools are not as, um, are not as overtly religious as mine was. Mm. Because we were in an actual, you know, actual like Catholic a, actual school. Catholic girls' school, mm-hmm. actual nuns, actual like nonstop dogma, actual actual brainwashing. I would even say, oh, great, <clears throat> yeah, it was great. They always thought I was a Satanist or something, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, like it was a very very because it was a very very because also it was a private school. And like with private schools in Germany, private schools are by far not as expensive as private schools in the US, right? Like it still is a class thing. I mean, and education in Germany is very, very class driven, segregated by class. But it also meant that there were far, that that it was almost entirely white German. Mm. Like it was, I would say maybe 95% white German. And maybe they were like, Maybe five, six, seven, eight people who are not white mm-hmm. in the entire school, I think. Were you all friends? Hmm? Were you all friends? Yeah, mostly, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, unless they were like much older or much younger than me. I mean, that's but I remember we had, for example, like we had a little bud- a buddy system where like one like the older, oldest, somebody in like 10, I don't know, like 10th grade would have like a little, you know, like a little sister mm-hmm. or something. And when I was at that stage, like, I don't know how, like, it, it had just ha- happened very organically that, like, uh, my little friend was uh, Indian-German. And because, I don't know, like, we just, like, immediately, like, f- found each other. Like, so that well, was will quite you, nice. Will you gain sort of understanding of all being othered, right? I think, I think we were not aware of it um, overtly. No, of course not, no. But there's definitely something where, like, when there's so few... And we're like, oh, we're both not blonde and blue eyed. You know, I mean, it was on that level. Yeah. Because yeah. this is this is Germany, right? So like, they're, they're very, very, very white. <laughs> it's like there were like just so many, and also you know, like teenagers are very, just very much into. I don't know. There was definitely like this idea of like that the blonde, blue eyed girls were the most popular, mm-hmm. of course. You know. And you know, it wasn't. It wasn't a particular. There wasn't a lot of bullying or something. It was, if anything, people were very boring. Um, yeah, but so that's when I got. And like, I wasn't particularly. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't bullied. I wasn't popular. I was just. You know, I was chill. It was. Yeah. I was just like in the middle somewhere. And uh, and actually, yeah, like for example, like my best friend for for a while was a girl called Sandra, whose parents were from uh, Croatia. Right, so like there was definitely these recognitions of like the few foreigners that mm. were there, that we definitely had like more things in common because most others, like so many of the others, were like daughters of um, bankers or CEO, mm. like big CEOs. Because it's a very rich area, mm. like this this part of Germany is very rich because of the automobile industry. This is south. 
Yeah, like it's in Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Okay. Yeah. I was just in Stuttgart. Oh, okay. Well, oh, that's true. We talked about this last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of them, like, lived in actual villas. Like, Jeez. Like, sometimes I would go and, like, not even understand how the house worked because it's so big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was, like, super confused. And, yeah, and, like, we lived, we, but we lived in the village, actually, like, quite quite a bit outside. So it would take me an hour to get to and from mm. To and, to and from school every day and like living in a German village in that area is like yeah pretty intense yeah you know it's like that'd be like routinely just like swastika graffiti at the bus stops you know things like that and also interestingly we we lived very close to a US army base, uh, base. Mm-hmm. yeah so I, I, I got really heavily into music when I was maybe 11 and then like pretty quickly got really obsessed with music which was great what would you listen to at that time and I was listening in the beginning. I was listening to a lot of like, like, like heavy metal and hip hop. Okay. Like, and then like the heavy metal, like very quickly. Hmm? What time period is this? Like late nineties. Okay. Yeah. And right. And I was listening to uh, the American Air Force radio. Weirdly okay. enough, like AFN, oh, the okay. American. A- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called AFN, American American Air. Yeah, I have no clue. It stands for it's it's the the radio that yeah. people in the American in the U.S. Mm-hmm. military listen to around the world mm-hmm. because they had college radio shows every now and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, most of it was crap. Of course, most of it was just terrible country music or something. But they also had like hip hop shows and they had like alternative rock shows mm-hmm. and um, you know, and like that's why I got into like weird into like I got very heavily into like Public Enemy and. You know, like, like Faith No More mm-hmm. and that entire weirdness. Because, like, Faith No More actually, I mean, that was the most commercially successful one. But all of these guys are in very weird bands. Mm-hmm. And they're connected to, like, radical jazz scenes and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually a pretty great entry point to also finding out about weird music from the 70s, maybe, that they were influenced by. Mm-hmm. Like Captain Beefheart or things like that. Or, like, punk that they were influenced by. Mm-hmm. Like, all those scenes. And then, yeah, through music and becoming really obsessed with music and lots of different genres. I mean, I also listen, I also listen to like a lot of crap, to be honest. Like, also got really into like weird goth. <laughs> I don't know. There was Did you a lot dress of, there the was, part too? Hmm? Did you dress goth? Um, not yet at that age, but I definitely had like very embarrassing goth. Uh, that was more when I was living in Paris that I was oh, a goth. Yeah. <laughs> but it was not the embarrassing goth. It was the industrial goth. It was the, the more the cooler goth one. Versus industrial goth. No, the embarrassing goth, the one, the, the embarrassing goth that I don't, that um, I mean, I that I'm just not into the entire sort of like crushed velvet and like uh. lace and like corsets and like the medieval goths. Mm. That's the ones. Like, mm. I don't care about the chainmails. I hate like who whoever who would want to live in the Middle Ages? That's disgusting. There's a lot of like sort of like weird. Mm, weird murky areas where like gothiness overlaps with sort of like you know so like dungeons and no like yeah yes yes Mm -hmm. definitely yeah also like this entire like dungeons and dragons fantasy Mm -hmm. realm and this entire like Mm -hmm. romanticizing yeah the middle ages Mm -hmm. i suppose and that's where you would all also like in the sense of fashion that's where you you would get the sort of like crushed Mm velvety things Mm -hmm. that are like a bit of a historical mashup yeah Oh yeah, but there's definitely like the sort of um, witchy pagan Germanic thing mm-hmm. that can get really pretty gross. 
So I was always more on the side of like, I, of like, let's bang on, on, um, yeah. let's bang on pipes. And like, I just had like, you know, like used mili- military trousers that I'd, that were oh. dyed black and that I added some straps on or something. Steel, steel boot toes? Hmm? Do you have steel boot toes? I don't think I even had access to those brands, to be honest. Like, I didn't oh, no, know. just like steel, steel boot oh, toes. Oh, steel boot toes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, I did when yeah. I was in, when I was in Paris. They had, uh, too many straps. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you yeah, know what I mean, yeah. right? It was it took, like a bit it took, embarrassing. It took like ten minutes to put them on. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I mean, it must have looked quite quite cute. And I remember back in the back in those days in Paris, my style icon was it was a mix between. Do you remember Skin from Skunk and Nancy? Uh-uh. Very very gorgeous. I think maybe in a gender non-conforming um, black singer uh-huh. with a shaved head okay. and just had like the most amazing style and makeup. So that was definitely my style icon. And, a, and also, of course, Blixer Bargeld from Neubauten was also my style icon. And I don't know. <laughs> but this is in France. This was after I moved. Yes, like I, I was jumping around. But like, yes, when I was when I was in, in high school, I was just, I don't know. I was just like wearing Doc Martens and like ripped tights. Yeah. That's it. You know, it wasn't it's just like very basic. I mean, that's basically how I dress now as well. Well, but, I, um, I can I can say when I was in high school, I just dressed like... Uh, yeah, what I, just like white people new New England clothes, just like mm. just like at, like jeans that don't fit that well. Yeah, like, uh, bun down shirts that don't fit that well. Yeah, there's a, there's also like the, there's a different style, like sort of norm normative style in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right than than in in certain places in Europe, and mm-hmm. also like with because I was I was in an area in in a very German area yeah. with also only girls. Right, uh-huh. so it was of course a different like style mm. universe, yeah, and it was a lot of uh, it was around the time where like brands were very important, so like people would wear a t shirt that says Levi's, yeah, or you know, or like, yeah, guess I, yeah. I don't know, no, it wasn't guess, I don't know, there's certain gap, yeah, <laughs> like brands were a big thing, exactly, and yeah. like because I couldn't, I, we didn't have money, so I just very quickly started buying secondhand clothes, but yeah, so like that's when I got really into. I got really into music and that's how I learned English actually. What? Like I didn't music? learn. Yeah. Mm. I don't think I learned. I mean, I learned English at school, of course, but it's mostly it. that I was trying to read the lyrics, watching MTV and then also like reading ferociously. I was, I mean, I was always a reader. In English. At Well, at first I was reading in French when I was still, when I was little. Uh-huh. And very early on also I was drawn to like quite um, complicated books so, you know, like when I was eight, like seven or eight, I started reading books written by, uh, about the Holocaust from the perspective of it. You know, it mm. was, um, I forgot his name, but it's called Un Sac du Bille, like a, a bag of marbles. And it's a book written by somebody who talks about his childhood experience. Mm. And so he was about around that age. Mm. So that is why it's a book that in France is fairly well known, I think, for. This is a French author, though. French Jewish, okay. I think, yeah. I'll look up. I'll look up his name. Okay. I think the common book we read is *Night* by. I mean, most of the books that we read about the Holocaust were written by Jews who then came to America. Exactly. So yeah. And in the in the French context, <clears throat> it would be people who were Jewish people who were in France mm, yeah. who would talk about their experiences, yeah. right? So, like, there were a few of those types of books yeah. that, for some reason, really resonated with me. That, like, always the things that were a bit more like dark, dark, yeah. or or complex or philosophical mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, like through music and especially through hip hop and and punk, I learned a lot more about certain social issues. Yeah. Which, of course, I still didn't understand at all because I was too young. Yeah. Right? But um, that was the greatest school, to be honest. And then, like through their book recommend book recommendations of of musicians, of rappers, of yeah. of people I like to would cite some a passage in their songs or something like that. Yeah. That's how I. And then you look that up and see where that goes. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's okay. also why, like, also find also being really into, also finding out about, about white supremacy in the U.S. and about like the Black Panthers, about Malcolm X, about um, the Ku Klux Klan, about the military, the prison industrial complex, all of those things. I, you know, I was just like some little kid in the middle of nowhere in a lost town in Germany, but through music, I did learn Mm. a lot about certain things. (laughs) My music taste was very like Anglo oriented at the time. So of course it was more about those themes. Oh yeah. For example, I remember like there was a, a really fantastic band from London called the, called Asian Dub Foundation, which is all um, Asian, Asian Dub Foundation. Okay. All like South Asian uh, young people. I think they were maybe like in the early twenties, but they were actually like punk between like punk and hip hop, and they also used a lot of musical element elements from um, Pakistan and Bengal and India, like different places. And they would talk about about like issues of their community in. In, in the UK about colonialism, about, for example, the case of Satpal Ram, who was a, a South Asian man who got beat up by white supremacists in a bar in the UK and then I think got imprisoned. Mm. Or, you know, learning about Leonard Peltier, learning about Mumia Abu-Jamal, all of those things mm. I learned through music. Mm. And then, of course, like going to the places where I would go to see shows mm. or go to music nights yeah. and then like getting in touch with because, because of course they were all run by Antifa, right? Or like yeah. very like and an, Antifa were very present. Mm-hmm. So even though I really didn't understand these things in depth, but I was from a fairly young age in anti-fascist circles, mm. probably also surrounded by people who also didn't get it. You know, <laughs> I don't, think anyone, I don't <laughs> but, think anyone still gets it. It's so complicated. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, like the people I was hanging out with were probably just like seemed seemed like adults to me, but they were probably eighteen, nineteen, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As is usually the case. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then where'd you go to college? And then after, and then I moved to Paris when I was 18 to study uh, philosophy and history of art. And in my first year, I focused on cinema theory. Mm. So if, if, on Yeah, history and theory of cinema. Mm-hmm. How was that? So I went to the Sorbonne. Which uh, is, it was really bad. I really hated it. Okay. Like, I actually, I, I really liked film. I loved cinema and, and thinking about cinema, th- learning about cinema theory, history. Yeah, also like media philosophy in a way, right? Like the new modes of perception, like how like moving image media had changed perceptions, how different kinds of cameras mm-hmm. um, provided different kinds of rep- rep- representation. All of that I really loved. But... And when I was I was studying Spinoza when I was um, first studying philosophy, and you know Spinoza is very interesting and all, but just imagine being with a bunch of being at the Sorbonne, surrounded by 
almost entirely like white French people mm -hmm. who are 17, 18 studying mm -hmm. philosophy. Like that's the most pretentious people you can find in the world yeah. <laughs> at I that mean, age, and especially. All, and then. also all like white philosophers. <laughs> of course, white of European course. Philosophers, yeah. Of course. So I really did not have a good time that first year yeah. at all. I watched a lot of films though. That was great. But it was also like almost entirely European films. Yeah. Um, luckily, there were quite a lot of Russian films because mm -hmm. that is all very, very important for the history of cinema in Europe. Yeah. But yeah, it was almost entirely European films mm. that we watched. Yeah. And then so, mm. so that was the first year. Then so you continued for the rest of the time. And then I switched. At some point, I switched because like I, I actually I got very sick um, because it things were very bad. And also it was pretty, it was, it was very rough. Like, especially that first year I went to, I think there were quite a lot of incidents at that university I was at. Like they were very, very, it was very violent. Like it was an incredibly depressing case. Wait, what do you mean by violent? Like people were being attacked? People were getting attacked. People like were, students were attacking each other. At some point, I remember we were sitting in the, in the amphitheater and people started shooting us with pellet guns on the back mm -hmm. and we never knew we had to evacuate, but like people were, we, people were getting shot in the back with like pellet guns because like well, I really don't know, you don't know. Mm. I, re I, I really don't know I was also I didn't quite understand I think there were some tensions locally because of the because that particular institute was situated in a place that was very working class and people felt like they were being pushed out I really I maybe or maybe it was students maybe it was like bored like bourgeois friend students who were I honestly don't mm. know and I was too I was too lost to even understand because i had also just moved to france i didn't yeah. understand anything yeah and also maybe we have to, so like when i was when i was in high school the only two people with whom i could speak french were my mother and my sister mm, right okay. which also means that we were circulating a very odd french because we were <clears throat> yeah i know yeah right mm -hmm. because it was and, and you, i mean i think about that with like my cantonese which is shit but like the words i know is all s structured around like household duties Right, right, exactly, like and it cleaning, like, cleaning, taking mm -hmm. out the trash, bringing the dishes for dinner, yeah. like taking a shower, but like it's very specific. Like it doesn't and it's extend very specific beyond that. Also, to like your whoever is like the older person, yeah, yeah. to their maybe also their idioms, like their preferred mm -hmm. vocabulary or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it just becomes like a tiny, tiny, tiny ecosystem yeah. microcosm of that language. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's really quite odd because it's not very, it's not really alive. And also yeah. it's stuck in another generation's language, right? Yeah. So, and I, I was reading a lot in French, but you know, f spoken French and literary French are very, very different. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes I was reading, of course, mo for the most part, I wasn't reading contemporary works, but like works that were a bit older, mm -hmm. you know, like I was really, really into Camus and, and mm -hmm. uh, Sartre maybe, things like that. So like things that were written, let's say, between the 50s and the 70s. And so when I moved to Paris, my French was weirdly literary and old. <laughs> but I was like this little skater kid who also couldn't skate, by the way, I was a terrible skater. So did skater. people like, look at you but, like this oddity? Yeah, I was like very <laughs> odd because I was, I spoke in a really weird way. But then I, also using like old people words, or, like really not understanding like yeah. the, not even slang just like vernacular everyday language right mm -hmm. but uh, yeah i mean i caught up fairly quickly i think like it took me maybe half a year to pick up on on how people my age speak yeah. <laughs> at the time but yeah i didn't really have any friends like the only friend i had there was like a goth 
Falsi really was super nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like I didn't understand the entire, I did not understand French society at all. Because when I was a teenager or when I was a child, like my sister as well, my mother would tell us, she was like, oh, these people hate you. These people here hate you. Like you get beat up on the street. They call you these names mm -hmm. in, in Germany mm -hmm. because you're French. They hate you because you're French. Like, she never understood. Do you have a French accent when you speak German? Is that why she's saying No, that? I don't think so. How do they know you're French? You don't look French. I know. But that's the thing. It's so odd because, like, I have this white mother who was in complete denial that we're getting, like... That you don't look French. That, exactly. She thinks, okay, well... Or that, oh, well, or that we were getting racially harassed, mm -hmm. that we we're getting harassed by white Germans... Or by white German teachers also, but, mm -hmm. but also by a lot of adults, mm -hmm. like my ballet teacher, like mm -hmm. the teachers at school, you know, like mm -hmm. several of them, the neighbor children on the streets who, who would beat us up and say Heil Hitler, you know, mm -hmm. and call and, and call us um, names that were whatever they decided we were on that day, yeah. whether they decided we we're Turkish or that we were Chinese or something, they would like use all these words. Mm -hmm. But my mother was in complete denial and she would say, no, it's because we're French. They hate French that's people. So and you know, and then she was, she'd be like, that's why you're going to go to France and study and everything will be better. Did you believe her at the time? Or I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, yeah, at the I mean, time I, when, I, I, when I was like 10, 11, sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, later on. And then I, I think I had a sense when I was maybe like 14, 15, 16, I had a sense that it was absolutely not true, but I didn't quite know Yeah. because I just didn't have any, avenue to even yeah. discuss these things but yeah like this common narrative was that like which this by my mother and because we didn't have any family right like i we didn't have grandparents we didn't have we didn't have cousins we didn't have um aunts or, aunt, or, or uncles so truth circulates like language would circulate in a very tight Mm. way and so that mythology that was being that was that dominated the house was that people don't like us because we're french and that like say? one he didn't say anything no because like he knew he, he experienced so much racism yeah. especially in france but he was just not really present mm. so he probably also didn't really want to get involved because i'm sure he probably because like the if if my mother would deny those experiences to us or like would yeah. would refuse so heavily, I'm fairly certain that yeah she probably did the same to my father, mm. and that's why he stopped talking about these things because mm. he never talked mm. he just does not talk mm. and i'm I assume it's probably because of that yeah so it was fairly it was really a, quite a big shock in a way when I moved to Paris and I realized <laughs> yeah. oh it's worse. <laughs> 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 it's not we get a different kind of racism here it's it, it was really because you know like thinking like for for 17 years like finally people will stop calling you Auslander. yeah and then i moved to france and they're like oh but where are you from no, but where are you really, yeah, from? Yeah, are you really from no no you're not french <laughs> no you're not come on like stop lying to me what are you you know so yeah, i was yeah. like oh man okay yeah, yeah. this is how it's gonna be then right yeah <clears throat> and uh yeah you know like even it, it's so it's it's odd, I suppose. Like my experience is a little bit different from like people who grew up in who are German who grew up in Germany or who were going to stay because we had this bizarre carrot that we were going to leave and, and basically go to France and France is like the promised land. Yeah, and it's like sure, it's the promised land for my white mother. Like yeah. it's the, where she feels at home. Yeah, but it's like if your children are are like are like half 
people uh, people of color, of course, it's not going to be like that yeah, for them, yeah. right? So that was odd, and like it took me many years to understand that experience. Yeah, it takes a while, especially was, if no one to talk to about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and if like there's zero representation, yeah. and you just have no clue, and you know, like I would hear people talk about racism, but it would be. You know, it would be like KRS One, a public enemy, a different people. You know, and I, I of yeah. course, I was like, that's horrible. That, but it's but not that, like I would um, yeah. assume that that's my experience. Of course not. No. It's a completely different experience, right? And also, that's in the form of a very highly thought out, curated form of expression that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. is not helpful. In I, I mean, you know, when I listen to that music, it's like you get it, but it's not helpful to to help yourself understand your current situation in real time. Exactly. It's, you know, it's like. How do you process mm-hmm. the moment when someone's asking you in real time where you're from, where you're really from, and then how to like sort that out exactly. versus like a lyric in the song that sounds good with heavy with a nice beat. Exactly. You know, and by also, someone who also of course, knows how to write lyrics too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And also it's just like a completely different scale, yeah. right? Like um I was not able to even understand that this was also an expression of racism, like these microaggressions. Mm. Because of course it's it's well it's it's not the same of course as like some as like Rodney King you know yeah. it's like it's so different like I would never want to like appropriate that analysis and just to see what I can extract for it for myself but then you know like reading more and more and like learning more about different things I managed to get a fuller understanding of things mm-hmm. and also be able to tie that back into solidarity mm-hmm. But yeah, it was quite an odd, uh, it was quite a hard landing in, 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 in Paris. At the same time, I was very happy to have left Germany because like I felt very alienated in Germany, but like then I th- <clears throat> but then it just like continued in France, of course, right? Because it wasn't about, because it was never about France versus, versus Germany. Yeah. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh man. It's, it's about uh, colonialism. It was about that, exactly. It was also about like being, being a teenage um, girl, being sexualized. Mm-hmm. Like those things will not stop just because you moved to Paris. If anything, it got a lot worse in Paris because like there's a lot more like like the binary gender is so much stronger mm. in a way and like sort of like sexualization of young women is much stronger mm-hmm. internalized misogyny is much stronger in france so like it was uh, and well it's a more conservative country yes absolutely and i in, interestingly also like the first friends i made in in paris were people of color as well like my funny how that works out right <laughs> hmm I said, funny how that works out, right? Yeah, and like I didn't really understand. What, I think I didn't. I wasn't even aware of it. But like I just like randomly sat next to like you know. I mean, not randomly. I was like, oh, this person looks nice. I'm gonna sit next to you, yeah. next to them, and then and just because you're like, oh, like I don't know, like everybody in this room looks weird. Like this person maybe looks nice. I'm gonna sit next to them and then become friends. And like it's not a coincidence in a way, right? No, it's so not. like my good friend was a. Also half white, half Asian, and then you know I met like other people at at gigs or something, who were for the, for their part were like a lot more, like they were super intelligent, like super sharp, and like I didn't, I learned a lot through them. Well, you have to learn from somewhere. Yeah, you can't just. Yeah. I I think I've only gone to where I have been learning through other people. And, yeah. And the only way I think you can keep growing is thinking that you have more to learn. Mm-hmm. So you keep seeking out other people who you mm. who you think or you know are smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, there there was there was a difference, for example, between the people I met through music, who were, or through gigs, who were usually like 
sorry, a lot more like working class. And then people I met at university because I was studying, um, you know, philosophy or literature, all these things that are fairly, that are very bourgeois, mm-hmm. even though in France, university is more accessible than it is in Germany, but still. What like, do you mean more accessible? Like anyone can go accessible? Nah, well, I mean, you still have to, of course, like have good grades and everything. But in Germany, there is the system in which children at a very young age, at like age nine or 10, get separated into different types of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, based on their grades and based on the recommendation of the teacher. And only those who go to the to the top kind of high school, which is about, about like a third about like a third of students, pupils get put into that high school. It's called gymnasium. Mm-hmm. And with gymnasium you can get the abitur. So like that's the diploma at the end of, of high school. Okay. And with abitur you can apply for university. For the other types of high school The other two thirds you don't even get the abitur. No, you don't get the ABT. You get something else, and then you, with which you can have like vocational training mm. or other kinds of training, like train to be a secretary, train to be um, a baker, maybe a carpenter, which are all like very, you know, they're all very respectable jobs, but they're jobs that are f- don't give you access to the middle class. Yeah. Right? Or maybe to the lower middle class, perhaps. I don't know. And then it's like very difficult. It's possible, but it's very difficult. It takes a lot of work to to get the abitur, to, to get that diploma, and to then be allowed to go and do university studies, right? And of course, that separation that happens at eight or nine happens at a very young age. I mean, I think it's <clears throat> maybe like age ten. So at the end of fourth grade in Germany. But France is different. And France is different. Like the system is structured a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah, but so that means that in Germany, people who go to university tend to all have gone to gymnasium. Well, almost all all of them went to gymnasium, Mm -hmm. with a few exceptions of those who like really worked super hard to like get their way in in there. But uh, this this separation that happens with little kids is based on grades and also on the teacher's recommendation. So if somebody is from a family that doesn't speak German at home, Mm. they might have worse grades. Yeah, or the teacher might be like, yeah, I don't really recommend. And sometimes they can have really good grades and yeah. their teacher will be like, mm, I don't really see this person in gymnasium. Or, and you're too young to fight back too. And you're too young to fight back. Or you might also be like at that age, <coughs> maybe there's like lots of problems at home. Maybe your parents are getting divorced. Like there's yeah. all of these things. And it really creates these different German classes mm. based on education. Mm. And, and because it happens at such a young age, it's not even present in most adults' minds anymore. Yeah. Because if you are socialized in a realm that is only, for mm. example, if you go to to gymnasium and most, for example, people who went to my high school, right, which was an almost entirely white high school of like upper middle class people, yeah, they probably didn't even are not even aware that other people exist because yeah. they'll be just figure just, out that like just some, there. yeah. Mm, and they yeah. will just like f- imagine that like somebody's a car mechanic because they were lazy in school. I don't know, like yeah. you know, like those kinds of things. Yeah. It's kind of naturalized and it's invisibilized in German yeah. society. Anyway, and like in in, in French French um, high school works a little bit differently, but still, like it's very like institutions like the Sorbonne are very 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 white and not welcoming at all. Mm. And you see that also like in the you see that reflected in like the kind of teach professors, the kinds of uh, the, the curricula, yeah. right? 
like the I I studied uh, towards the end I, I specialized in so like I studied English and ling- English linguistics English cultural studies all of those things and I I specialized in so-called post-colonial literature mm-hmm. um, and that's what I was going to do a master's in and the 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 syllabus or like the, the the novels we're reading were just by white people in South Africa like yeah. white South yeah. Africans yeah. white Australians mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. white Dom- Dominicans yeah. And that was what they called post-colonial literature, yeah. and also it was also discussed me- purely on on literary um, merits, you know, like the, you know whatever, like this metaphors, like yeah. or like this structure, yeah. like this uh, narrative voice, blah blah blah. But like it wasn't at all tied tied in with um, politics mm-hmm. or or like bigger ideas. Yeah. It was very odd. Yeah. And that's the Sorbonne. That's supposed to be such a good school. And I yeah. thought it was horrible. I thought it was really bad. And I ended up like having a big argument with my supervisor on um, about Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Um, what, what was the argument about Heart of Darkness? That I had... Um, so like I was still... I mean, I still am very ignorant, but I was even, even more ignorant back then. But I still had like somehow stumbled across this text by Chino Achebe, you know, who wrote Things Fall Apart. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he wrote this. It was actually a talk he gave that he then turned to an essay called I forgot the the title. I'll, it was I'll, I'll on racism up. in. Well, it was basically explaining yeah. why Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad is deeply racist mm-hmm. and how it's so absurd, or like how telling it is that it still is held up as a as a fantastic work of English literature as a key key work in the English literary canon yeah. when it is so clearly incredibly anti-black and very colonialist and all of that. And, you know, I read this, I read this essay and I was like, whoa, that's so true, you know? And um, then I thought, okay, cool. Like I can, um, I can work with that. I would love to, I wanted to write my, my thesis about that. My Your master's thesis. didn't want that. No, and he didn't want to. Because. He was like, Hey, I think he, I think maybe he had never heard of Tinoa Achebe. Okay. So he didn't think it was relevant. And, uh, and he was like, no, there's nothing wrong with Heart of Darkness. Oh, it's a okay. classic. It's of course. A, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but that's not my entire point. I want to yeah, talk about like yeah, why, yeah. like it's it's. And anyway, he didn't want to. He just didn't want to talk about this. It I wasn't, tried reading Heart of Darkness, like, I think five times, and I got really bored very quickly. I mean, I, I read it when I was a teenager. Yeah. And when I was too ignorant to understand anything. But I, I remember feeling super uncomfortable and not being able to say why. Mm-hmm. And that's why then I think like all of these analysis by all these fantastic people, yeah. you know, be it be it Chuck D or be it um, Chino Achebe or different people pr- providing more context was super helpful. And like I, I, all of those things I learned outside of the university because yeah. the stuff I learned at university in Paris was outrageous. And now I realize that now, yeah. and maybe that's why I was so inc- that's why I was so um, unhappy when I was at university in Paris because it was like a nonstop assault of um, patriarchy, white supremacy, French supremacy, mm-hmm. like French intellectual supremacy, which is kind of gross. Yeah, and also for for a while because I was very bored actually because I wasn't learning anything. I also did a lot of things like I was a guest student or like did like a signed up for a minor yeah, yeah, here or there yeah, yeah. because in france like it didn't cost it it barely cost anything to study right mm-hmm. it's like in That's the u.s right. in the u.s i would never have been able to study all these things because it's so expensive and yeah. i would not have gotten you yeah. know i would i would just not have been able to yeah 
because I had, I had I didn't have any support from my parents. Yeah. Like they really didn't want me to study these things. But in France, uh, at least at the time, I paid maybe maybe like two three hundred euros per semester or something. That's amazing, right? And so like I would then be able to like sign up and like do another like a minor in like over there or something. So I also studied. Um, I also did a few courses in psychology and sociology, and also signed up for another undergraduate degree in so-called well in Japanese studies, I guess, Mm -hmm. which was at the, at the Institute for Oriental Languages Mm, in in, in Paris. (laughs) And so this was an institute that had like all of the, all of, it was specifically for Asian cultural studies and Asian language studies. Is this far nor far near Oriental languages or both? Um, I think it would start maybe, I think the most, let's say it would be from Hindi to Japanese, okay. basically. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I don't think it was, um, near, like they had, they had other institutes for, yeah. for like Farsi, Farsi yeah, 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 or yeah, different, yeah. that, yeah. that was, like the very sectioning is interesting, mm, right? Yeah, it's very no, telling. They yeah, had like yeah. l'Institut du Monde Arabe, so yeah. like the Institute of the Arab World, yeah. mm-hmm. which was then seen as like incongruous. That like if that is the Arab World, then like and that yeah, yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. there's just like the the very compartmentalizing is odd. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. oh, and then what do you do with Indonesia, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like anyway, but so that institute was super weird because it was almost entirely white professors teaching like Japanese philosophy, Japanese history of art, Japanese literature, language, language courses as well. The students were, I would say three quarter white Mm -hmm. of the boys, of the young men, I would say probably most all of them had like an Asian fetish. And then there would be, I don't know, I don't, maybe, maybe the girls as well. I have no clue. Um, and then there would be a few like super lost people like me who were like either half Asian or maybe, yeah. or maybe like Asian but didn't grow up with the language or did but didn't but yeah. needed more. Yeah, you know, like maybe some there's people who like speak fluently but don't know how to write or you know, yeah, there's some, yeah. or just people who just want to find out more. And um, I, it was so gross. Like I had to leave after. I tried, I think, for like eight months or something, and then I had to leave because it was super... So what did you leave university with? Hmm? What did you leave university with? Oh, and then like I... So like after like four years or something in Paris, I was so fed up that I then signed up to with to leave. Like So I signed up for all possible exchange programs, and I signed up for Erasmus, oh, okay. which is the European exchange program, mm-hmm. and chose a few cities at random and was assigned Berlin. So I finished my my French master's in Berlin mm. at Freie Universität because I was so incredibly sick of Paris. And then, um, so I did it at a distance and I had to do a few other courses. And I'd, I also did like an extra thing where I, I got like a, to get an extra certification as French teacher, just in case. And then when I was in Germany, I realized that the way of teaching here is very different. How, at least was, in university, yeah. it was well a little bit different. It was mm-hmm. definitely less uh, authoritarian. Yeah. It was less top down. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know. I know. It's like because as, and that's, are known. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. But like it was more, you know, like you'd have actual, you'd have people 
sit, you know, like professor is insisting that we have like that we put a bit that we sit in a circle instead of like a, a frontal situation. Mm, mm-hmm. You'd have just actually just like teach professors who are actually nice to you and actually take you seriously, maybe a little bit, and like will meet you. But mm. in, in Paris, like especially in the Sorbonne or those places, it was like the fucking Vatican or something. <laughs> it was so odd, like because intellectuals there are like. It could be also more. just Berlin too, right? It could also be just Berlin, yeah. But in like, because I stud- then I studied cultural studies here. Mm-hmm. So like when I was when I was in a when I was doing my, my Erasmus year, and for example, then I studied. I had one course, one seminar that was like Victorian sexualities. All of a sudden, people talked about gender. In the, yeah, mm-hmm. in a way that I'd never heard of mm. in in Paris, and mm. so I thought that was fascinating. I was mm-hmm. just, it was super fascinating to have that approach, like yeah, to yeah. take to take I don't know Jacqueline Hyde and discuss it in terms of like repressed sexuality or like yeah, masculinity yeah. or all that. You yeah, know, I was yeah. like, oh, this is fascinating. Actually, this is what I've been wanting to do all along. Yeah, and whereas in France we would just be like I don't know analyzing the narrative structure or some crap. Yeah, um, or you know, like think th- th- a different approach to literature. Uh, that is more cultural studies mm. and then all oh right and then i was actually gonna like so uh, i was supposed to just be here for a year or like even less just a few, just two semesters and i was i wanted to go to the u.s to study art but my visa was rejected my visa application was Oof. rejected and so i was stuck here um because i'd lost a lot of money of course because of all of the down payments i made and yeah, yeah. so like i was super stuck and ended up signing up to, to another master's. At first, I was going to do it as a fake student. As, because a, as a what? As a fake student. Fake student. I mean, it was still also like very cheap, right? So like yeah. I, I applied and yeah. I was, I would, because because it's just cheaper when you're a student because you get a lot of student discounts mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. But I started going to class and I was like, oh, this is super interesting actually. So then I did a second master's here. In cultural studies okay. and philosophy and linguistics. Mm-hmm. And, how did and, you, his, and history of art as well. That's true. Was your how did you? I guess I'm curious. How did you? Where did your interest in art come from? I really don't know because nobody in my family is artistic. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, just the way you describing. I have no clue. So I'm just curious. I mean, my family isn't either. So yeah. I mean, I can at least say, like, my mom did push me to do art, mm-hmm. and so that's sort of I can say that's how I ended up here. That's nice. I don't think out of any. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she intended it for me to be in art for so long right but like my mom's philosophy was like okay i need to get my kids all stand out in a way that's not just academic yeah so like my she had my sister and my brother do music oh that's nice yeah for me for for, but for me she decided arbitrarily i don't i questioned this she's like i remember seeing you draw and i thought you had artistic talent so mm-hmm. she just put me in art classes. So that's, oh, how, that's cool. But like my mom, yeah. my mom's a doctor. My dad's a, is a scientist. So yeah. they don't, they're not, um, I mean, arts, I think they culturally think, they think art's important, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm like sort of like the black sheep. So that's what I was curious about yeah. you. I really don't <clears throat> know. Honestly, I really don't know. And like also both my parents are so conservative that they, I mean, I grew up hearing that artists are what? parasites. Parasites. Wow. Literally parasites. Okay. Um, also, of course, I grew up with like the only options being studying law, engineering, or, or like being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Those were the three only options, you know, as like so many. Your parents were in agreement about this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As like so many immigrant families, right? And I I was always drawing and writing from a very young age, from like age, I don't know, five, six, seven or something. And it was seen as a cute hobby. 
but I w it was actively actively discouraged as something that would lead down a bad path yeah. because you know you don't want to be an artist because artists are parasites yeah. and and like selfish and they're all drug addicts and everything so I honestly I really don't know it's just like I couldn't help it that's good I think it's also because of listening to so much music and like the musicians I was listening to were very very appreciative of art and like mm. through them I, I discovered new things but I never had like parents who took me to the museum or yeah. something that's why I would go after I would spend a lot of time in the museums or in the library after public yeah. library after school because yeah. I didn't want to because you know when you're like a bit of a trouble kid like you don't want to go home but like yeah. <clears throat> so I I honestly don't know yeah. how it just seemed like the only it's just something like you, you can't help it. Like you feel very attracted to it. You can't yeah. help it. You know that it's it yeah. feels right. Yeah. Even though your parents tell you it's really wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, no. it's odd. I mean, it took me, I, I always, I think I was, I didn't have that same urge until much later. Mm. I think I was always, it was always part of me. I didn't think about it. So mm. it never felt like, mm. I mean, it also like, but also it seemed like you always studied art history alongside something else though, right? It was like, with mm -hmm. cultural studies, with philosophy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's always like, I, re I read that as like, you have a sort of backup plan. I'm not sure how much of a backup plan philosophy or cultural studies is. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, was always, true, it, was, true, it was It was still attached to a sort of yes. bourgeoisie idea of mm -hmm. education, some yeah. sort of high high elitism education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. How was, how was the art education, or art history education, the, the master's? Okay. So, like the the things I did in both in Paris and and Berlin, were when I studied art history, it was very academic, very much people non artists talking about art. Oh. It was to educate critics, I suppose, to judge. So, of course, it's like it's like that's like French people love doing that. <laughs> French people love judging shit, yeah. and. Um, so, you know, it's very interesting, but I could always tell that these people are not artists. Yeah. And it was, it always felt really odd to me that it, it's, they also seem to separate it very strictly. Yeah, that, yeah. like, if somebody showed any kind of, like, art, that it was almost frowned upon. It was almost, like, laughed at if somebody also wanted to be an artist or something. It was really odd. So, like, I just clearly even, ended Even within the group of people you're studying with, yes. it's frowned upon to become an artist. Well, not necessarily the group of people, but, like, the, the entire discipline. Mm. was like there's critics on that side and artists on the on yeah. the other side mm -hmm. and like while there might be regard for the artwork there's actually not that much yeah. regard for the artist yeah. i'm not quite sure it's 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 a bit odd but um it felt like an impossible gap to yeah to bridge it was very it basically it was really not very interdisciplinary at all yeah. and there was uh did they not care did they not also care did they believe in like the death of the author? Like they didn't care about the artistic background. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes that was that was pretty strongly. It it depended on like which which time we're talking about, which period of time as well. Yeah, yeah. But it was uh, very much to. It felt like it was to cultivate like a bourgeois world of consuming art mm -hmm. and. Um, Basically, developing an art market where, like, maybe this person is going to become a, a yeah. gallerist, this person will be yeah. a critic, this person will just marry an engineer, you yeah. know, and like and be, have a gallery and buy, yeah, yeah. be a buyer, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, be a collector. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was educating taste for the upper classes. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and maybe you know sort of uh, nurturing the, the the market and like the different parts of that market mm-hmm. but it wasn't really an approach or a discussion about art as disruptive as political mm-hmm. or not at all yeah. and like i still don't know like and that's why i was always so unsatisfied i think because for you me still don't know. i was very much interested in like that's the thing i think i was always into with art is like how it can be a method of learning be a method of like disrupting be mm-hmm. a method of like challenging the status quo yeah. of um yeah i mean i guess like it's it's political potential it's philosophical potential it's it's way to be a method of of survival and solidarity yeah. but that is absolutely not what i encountered in the approaches in academia in paris or berlin yeah. and then through like some somewhat different approaches i you know, I learned more about different art traditions or different ways of valorizing art. Did you also, were you part of the art community in Berlin? In Berlin, I was, uh, yeah, I was working as a, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, was, I was working as a gallery manager for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like that was my job with which I financed everything, even though it was- What do you mean you financed everything? Incredibly badly paid. <laughs> Well, with which I like paid my rent or something, right? Oh, like, because okay, yeah. I, I, I always had to work. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I always worked. Oh, I see, I see, I see. My... It helped finance your life. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. I, I feel like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just helped finance, helped me pay for my expenses. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, even though I mean, university was not very expensive, but I still have to pay rent. Yeah, you're, like, ma- you're not making money. Yeah. So, like, when I when I was living in Paris, I was um, working in the bookshop, and. Or like at a call center, and like here as well, I was working in like call centers or really like just random jobs. But like the one I, I did for a long time was that I was gallery manager um, of a contemporary art gallery, uh, or something uh, between. I don't know if I was gallery assistant, gallery manager. Like basically, but we were just two people, yeah, just the gallerist yeah. <laughs> and me. So how, how was that? And that was really interesting because I learned a lot about the commercial art world, mm-hmm. and I learned that it's horrible. And it's I feel like you probably know more about it than me. I mean, be- before, worked, I, there. before I started working in a commercial gallery, I, I had no clue yeah. about how incredibly capitalist yeah. and commercial it is. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it definitely made me lose that 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 um, innocence. But I'm very happy, at least I learned about that because it made me understand a lot of things about the art world. And then, you know, it made me understand yeah. like how value is created, yeah. like how value circulates, how... Art is a hyper-capitalist, is a very, very capitalist market as well. It's just a different way to to store your your money yeah. or to invest. What right? what was something? What would be something that you didn't realize about the capitalistic nature of art that you discovered through working as a art curator, ga- gallerist? Mm. So, like for example, I had to go to a lot of art fairs as well, and mm-hmm. like sell, you know, like of course, set up the thing and everything. Now it's gotten worse with the art fairs. Mm. Like way worse. <laughs> But also, of course, like, I ended up like selling a lot of stuff because yeah, I talked to the people. Yeah, and yeah. Um, interestingly, what I learned is that people don't really care about the actual artwork, mm-hmm. but they want to know where did this, where did this person um, study? Where did they exhibit? Who did they study the, with? The Who provenance. did they exhibit with? So like yeah. all of that are yeah. all these factors that create value, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually like the really rich people always have like an art advisor, like a, an art uh, yeah, our advisor. An advisor yeah. who will tell them whether this is a good investment or not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like maybe they'll be like, okay, this is a good artist to invest in. Which one do you know? Oh, yeah, this, this one's pretty okay. You know, it's but it's not so much about the no, yeah. about the artwork itself. 
in a way. But my job was always to like come in and like write a, an art text that makes it look sound sound um, intelligent or that. And you know, like I, I usually also like always find something that I really loved about these pieces, and I would be able to talk about them. Yeah. And then like the fact that I was able to talk about them with like passion mm. made the entire thing go a little smoothly, I suppose, because then like we yeah. could maintain that 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 fantasy that it's about the art and it's not about the money. But you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, I would, um, and you know, like some of these artworks were really great. And they were also made by people who were Meisterschüler here or there, or like yeah, yeah. had an exhibition here or there. Yeah, and yeah. Like, so that was really interesting to see how how this operates. It was very interesting to talk to people who are like super rich and um, <laughs> yeah. who use art as a status symbol, mm-hmm. who will have these big collections that they don't pay taxes on, mm-hmm. that then accrue more value if they lend it to this or that or that yeah, other yeah. exhibition. So it, so it adds to the provenance of the piece. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And those are all the things that I didn't know about before because before I never wanted to think about money. Well, I never wanted to because I was like, Ugh, I'm an anti-capitalist, I hate yeah, it, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. And uh, You're then... An anarchist punk. But <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, oh shit, like the art world, like it's super capitalist. <laughs> But yeah, so like that was interesting because I learned a lot and I also learned a lot about how people are faking it a lot, mm-hmm. how they want to pretend to, how basically the art world is dominated by these super rich people who don't really know very much about art. It's just that they have enough money to buy stuff mm-hmm. and to donate money to a museum or this or that or that, yeah. right? And ultimately it is to appease their to to cater to them to make them feel special yeah, to let them put their name on a plaque somewhere yeah. and try not to offend them so that they continue giving you money yeah. or you know like donating to yeah. this museum or buying from your gallery all these things yeah. and you end up you see people like doing stuff that is like super not dignified you know like I, like just just being just because people want to stay in good graces with those rich people, they will throw their friends under the bus. It's gross. These are artists and curators you're talking about? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Money yeah. does that. Yeah. And also, like, I was clearly also, I mean, I was so lucky that nothing bad happened to me, but I was clearly also put there as a booth babe, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there was, like, all of these galleries always have, like, some Yeah, the orient- some oriental, other exotic. Yes, and also, very interestingly, like, it's much more common to see Asian, like, light-skinned Asian or half-Asian young women mm-hmm. than, let's say, black people in that world. Yeah. Because that is still, like, an acceptable because other. Because it's still, it's still, it's still, like, that is know, coded. The effects, of, the effects of white supremacy and, exactly. and colonialism. Exactly. Like, I don't think I ever met in that art world at, like, Art Basel or, like, those things. I don't think I ever met. Um, maybe I met, like, three Asian people, mm-hmm. East Asian, and that's it. And maybe, yeah, when we're, of course, when we're in Miami, like, maybe a few Latinx people. But, yeah, it's all, like, really old white guys and their, and their wives. Yeah. And maybe a few, like, independent white women yeah. who are upper class. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it's odd. Yeah. And they're all patting themselves in the back for <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> spending this much money. Yeah, and I realized after <clears throat> after a while, and like it took me a long time to realize that there's no future for me in there, and mm. that also I hate that world, and it's disgusting. So you were, for, with, you were doing this gallery work for how long? 
Um, I did this for maybe like uh, five years or six. That's a while. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. And it was a really long time. So and I was working like you started while you're doing your masters, and then you continued after you finished your masters, then right? And then yes, and then for a while I wasn't. Then I wasn't working there every day anymore. But I would still work to go to the art fairs, mm. or like now every now and then to like I don't know write a text or like help on a on a, mm. on a project. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It was it was a strange time and 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 I, oh and also like I moved to Japan for a year. This was my very because I you know I was like oh now that I'm registered as a student in 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 Berlin I should take take advantage of their international exchange oh, thing, okay. and so I was able to be an exchange student for a year in Japan uh, in Tokyo. How was yeah. that? Um, that was cool, but um, how's your Japanese? My Japanese is not great. Okay. Like it's, it's, um, I, I, if, when I'm in Japan, I can get by, but then I, I make a lot of grammar mistakes. Usually it takes me a while to like get, like after, you know, the first few days I'm like, Ugh, I like can't remember anything, but then everything comes back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But when I was in Tokyo, it like life was so expensive, like rent and everything was so expensive that I was working non I was working all the time. Mm. I was working every day from like f as soon as classes ended at 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Mm. and on the weekends as well. So I didn't get as much out of it as I should mm. have because I was constantly working to try to make the rent. Mm. And I got really sick at the end because I just was working too much. Yeah. So it was a bit odd and it was it was also like a bit heartbreaking to see all these foreign students, all the, all the white expats, like... I mean, uh, all the all the white um, stu international students, um, you know, having the time of their life, yeah. learning Japanese super quickly, partying being, all the time. Being praised for being for being white. Yeah, and they probably all came. I mean, I know that all of them came with a grant or like with some like financial support. I mean, not a grant, but like they they had a lot of financial support. But you didn't get any from. I had no financial support. Uh, That's why then, I had to work well, so much. But then. I thought you said you're trying to take advantage of this. Oh, it just it just I didn't have to pay for this for the school fees. Oh, okay. But I still had to pay for my the rent, flights, flights mm. uh, food, mm. insurance, like all of these things. Mm -hmm. So I was the only one I think who had to work. Like mm. everybody else was like party, like having picnics or. Mm -hmm. So it was just really odd to, yeah, I don't mm. know. It was a, it was it was not an easy year. Mm. And also, it's just like weird to be treated like a foreigner, because this happened again. You know, right? like yeah. when I, then when I was in Paris, and I was like, "Oh fuck, French people hate me," and then I had the impression maybe I should go to like different places. Yeah. And you know, of course, I knew that I'm that I'm not full Japanese, but yeah. it still hurts when you go back and like you know, thirty times a day, people will be like, "What? No, you're lying. No," yeah. and then like start laughing in your face, like call their friends, point at your face and say, look, look, yeah. she says she's half Japanese. I'm like, oh God. Yeah. So now I usually don't really say it immediately what anymore. Do, what, do you, what do you say? What, hmm? what, what, have you, what have you decided to say to identify yourself to avoid that situation? Do you not say anything? Usually I will say maybe something like I'm based in, Germ I'm based in Berlin, but I'm not German. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, it's hard to figure out say sometimes yeah and you know like it's not I, it, it's a different level like when french people are like no but where you really from or like when germans are uh, like that like i'm like you know, whatever yeah yeah fuck you 
Well, it's Japanese people. It's a lot more complicated. Yeah. Because I know that I don't look. I know that in Japan, I'm not. I'm definitely not read as as Japanese. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a bunch of other things, yeah. you know. But definitely not that. But I know that it's also a different history. That it's a very hom- racially homogenous mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Then again, there is there are a lot of uh, there is a lot of people who are not Japanese, but who get invisibilized. Yeah. But you know, it's not like I was Korean or something. It's yeah, it's still yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I still have white privilege in Asia, so it's a lot more complicated yeah, for yeah. me to negotiate. Yeah. And yes, people will treat me like I'm unintelligent, yeah. and like for example, like the police treated me like crap. Yeah. And but I'm very hesitant to say that it's racism. I don't think it's racism because I'm half white. I think it's just like distrust well, think- that I'm not full blood, but I, 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 I don't think that racism against white people exists, but I think it might be more like distrust because I am not full blood. Yeah. Or you know it, gives I mean? them, it gives them an in to treat you badly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, um, it's, it's a language thing. Like I think I was thinking, I mean, we were sort of talking about this in relationship to Germany, but also like if you are not, you're white, but you're seen like, once they know that you're partially Japanese, you're like not considered enough respect to be given that of like a full Japanese person. But oh, then yeah. like you're also not, you don't look white to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so they don't have to treat you like a white person. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Interestingly, also what I've noticed in, in, in the West with, for example, white men with yellow fever is that, or maybe actually like, you, you probably know that as well, right? When you don't conform to the stereotype mm-hmm. of maybe like they have this idea of that like Asian people are subservient mm-hmm. or like like little pets maybe like little dolls yeah. like little pets well, perhaps. I think that, that's usually attached to the women. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like it's it's highly gendered. So I mean, let's men, say I mean men too, but in different ways. Mm. You know? But there's definitely like an infantilization. I, yeah, I, I feel yeah, yeah. right on some level for both. For both, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. there's a certain level of infantilization and of like emotionlessness mm-hmm. that, like a little bit, yeah, something unscrutable or something yeah. like that. But then when you don't conform to that, like if you're not, and for for women, like if you're not submissive and quiet and like childlike and 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 like agreeable agreeable mm-hmm. if you have opinions or if you say no if you have boundaries god forbid um yeah then all of a sudden they feel tricked and they feel yeah. very disappointed and then they will say they will usually lash out in racial terms um what have you heard for example i've heard very often it's like oh whatever you're not really you're not really asian anyway mm. or like you're not really japanese anyway and mm-hmm. like well i never pretended to be but like i've heard that also from people who are who are, you know, quote unquote, full Asian, when <clears throat> some people will be like, oh, whatever, you're like, you're too American or mm. something, right? Mm-hmm. Or like I heard, like what I heard from like this this person, this German, white German man I used to be friends with, who I then realized was hitting on all of my Asian women friends mm-hmm. on, uh, on, on who I was connected to on social media. Yeah, okay. Like he would like look at their photos and then start like messaging them. Yeah. Yeah. And like one he met or like, I don't know, he was telling me something and he was like, he was so disappointed. He said, she doesn't even have an accent. Oh, (laughs) because I was like, duh, yeah, she's from New York. (laughs) I don't know. It was really (laughs) odd. But then like how they feel tricked uh, that, that, that like they didn't get the full, I don't know. The, the, what they what they expected yeah yeah 
instead of thinking that maybe like their expect the the expectation yeah. is racist and wrong yeah, yeah. to then and then they, often it can get violent like that's yeah. the that's the that's the shitty part mm-hmm. that um then they all feel they all feel tricked and therefore they get angry mm-hmm. and it's like nobody tried to trick you it's like you tricked yourself yeah. i don't know it's 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 pretty it's pretty gross yeah well i mean they're conforming to an idea of stereotypes yeah and so there's a there's a um, paradigm shift that happens when suddenly you're confronted with the reality versus your perception of reality. Yeah. You know, and then I think it also gets more difficult. It also gets more difficult because I think a lot of people don't see it as racist. Mm-hmm. So, so like they don't know how to express it because subconsciously they know something's wrong. Yeah. But then they can't point it out as racism because they can't call it for what it is. Yeah. Then that sure. that disconnected feeling turns into a frustration, which turns into anger, which turns yeah. into, you know, you know, whatever that ends up coming out of their mouth and their actions. Yeah. And I think something I noticed, so like when I was living in, when I was living in, in Tokyo and like, I do spend a lot of time in Japan now, I think I would say, yeah, I'd, I, I've spent quite a lot of time as an adult in Japan, but I, <laughs> the, 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 the terrible white man who end up in Japan are the ones who are disappointed by the Asian women in in their home. Mm. Like there's a lot of like You mean the expats who go to Japan are And the I've ones- met yeah, I've met quite a lot of, for example, um white Americans who really have yellow fever, but like mm. they want a real one. Mm. They want one who has an ac- who has an accent, who is like culturally very different because they yeah. grew up in a Right, I've, like they might like feel like yeah. not that like they're that like somebody who's East Asian American yeah. is not other enough because yeah. that's somebody who's. But they want. I don't know. It's 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 pretty odd. I've heard something. I mean, I haven't heard that as much. I'm sure it's true. The perception I've had of expats who go because when I was in, um, I taught two years of SAT in Korea, mm-hmm. and my experience was that the white men who'd go there would go there because they, in my eyes, they were all like the most, even more boring white people than normal white, boring white people. But like, because they're <laughs> white, they could get away with that in a country where like the people didn't speak good enough English to learn, know that they're boring, you know? <laughs> right. I know exactly what you mean. And so like, they, they then they're like treated like they're Kings and like yeah. get away with like, Yes, they get you away know. so much. And like, white people are already boring, but I mean, like these are like the worst, the worst crop of like these expats of white people. So that was my experience of why they. Yeah. Were, I never heard. I heard less of like, oh, I came here because I wanted like a better. I mean, they wouldn't. They also wouldn't say that publicly. Right? Like, they also wouldn't say yeah. that. I mean, I assume like, that I can. I can hear what I can yeah. hear what French people say among each other when mm. they think I don't speak French. Yeah. In in yeah. now when I hear them talk to each other and they're drunk in the yeah. train station, yeah. I can hear those things. Or when Germans talk to each other, yeah. like they don't think I can. I know, but like I've, I've heard like weird things like that. Yeah. In in a way, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I assume. But yeah, it's and true. also like they get away with like being so incredibly rude. Yeah. Like so rude, and also especially in Japan, like nobody will tell them they're rude, right? Yeah, because you don't. It's a very well, well, we, you don't confront people. And also so, subver- sur- subservient to a white person too. Exactly, and so like they can get away with it, right? And like they will be living in Japan for ages, and like continue being super rude, and like nobody will tell them. But let's say if it's somebody from Bangladesh living in Japan, mm-hmm. 
they will be immediately told off. Yeah. They will be so it's a completely different experience for white expats and for mm -hmm. yeah. for immigrants who are not white. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's super super complicated because uh, so like as a theorist and as an activist and as a as, as a person, I guess um, I of course the issues of power mm -hmm. are very important to me philosophically and how it shapes the world and of course then with power comes like gender yeah. and class and, and race do you want to talk about your activist work now since yeah maybe exactly so um i suppose currently i would say i would usually describe as i would describe myself as an artist theorist um translator mm -hmm. and curator and a community organizer activist because so like i'm doing my phd currently but it's sort of going absolutely nowhere because it's a very very eurocentric institute mm -hmm. because my topic is uh not really understood i suppose mm -hmm. in those terms in in those in in that institute or like in that academic realm in continental europe mm -hmm. so because it's like very frustrating <laughs> i've decided or uh, you know my work has become more and more like practice based like actual mm -hmm actual activist work or solidarity work. Right, so um, my yeah. work sort of like blends into different places because because it's I've, I realized that um, academia is not a satisfactory avenue and like it doesn't, mm. A, I don't really get that, I don't, it ends up being more like educating privileged people on stuff that should really be basic knowledge, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I am not personally, I don't feel like I'm making progress even though I do a lot of work that yeah. is, explaining yeah. things that actually are already known anyway anyway and so i find it important to do work that actually does stuff which would be like you know community work activism or something mm. and sometimes and in, in terms of activism i think it's very important or in general like to be aware of the work that's already here that's uh, work that's been done work that's been done by elders by communities by people who are marginalized mm -hmm. that there's no usually structures already exist they've just been it's it's been highly they've just been marginalized hidden dismantled yeah. exactly mm -hmm. and i see that happening in berlin a lot where like english-speaking um expats will you know arrive and say like whoa we need to solve racism in germany and like they start you know like doing big things and you know that's cool but like people have been doing stuff here for a long time it just it, it might not be in english yeah and it might not be in the art world, or it might not be, it might be an underground circuit, right? It might be because some people also have to remain invisible. Mm -hmm. For example, if it's about like helping undocumented, like uh, co coordinating, like, you know, support and resources and structures for undocumented people, you're not going to go and put that in a museum. Yeah. You're not going to go and like give a talk at like a fancy gallery about it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always good to like know what what's already here. And like, for example, if we're in, in Germany, if we talk, we need to be aware of like the, the specific histories of how different race, how races, like the different forms of like racism and gendered or intersectional oppression and marginalization exist in, in different places. For example, in Germany, it's very much connected also to the history of post-war um, guest workers, mm. right? Um, so, for example, anti-Turkish racism is very, very, very strong in Germany and might not be apparent to people from, you know, so-called North America who come here 
It might not be you apparent. You wouldn't notice it unless you spoke German, right? And you you wouldn't notice it, and also you wouldn't I mean, you, meet you wouldn't if if you're somebody who's like in the music, you know, in like I don't know, academia or something. You also or uh, posh music, uh, posh yeah. art world. You also wouldn't meet that many people yeah. who are Turkish German because of the decades long like marginalization, yeah. like super racist structures. And yeah, so like sometimes, you know, in my activism, like sometimes I initiate things, but very often I just really connect to lots of different people that are there, initiatives that, that exist already and provide whatever whatever I can to help. Sometimes it's translation, sometimes it's carrying stuff, sometimes it's, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it would be just like putting my body somewhere and like blocking the Nazis or the police or something. When was the last time you did something like that? Um in maybe like october or something september or october was this an afd so re yeah remember like the super like the very heavy open like neo-nazi pogroms on the street in chemnitz mm -hmm. that was in the summer and like actually all all across germany they were like very heavy you know like the neo-nazis actually came out and they they were like they just came out on the street and were like hitlering all over the place and like beating okay. people up and chasing right. chasing people in the streets And it was very alarming. And it's mm. not that it's not something that came out of nowhere. Like that's been there already, right? But so, for example, in August we went. There was a huge Nazi march, and we went to block that. Um, what would the police do? Or what? What would they I've seen the so at these places. So because I'm I'm very often the I'm fairly often those things. You know, I can see the police seeing they see the nazis doing the hitler salute mm -hmm. which is illegal here they don't do anything they don't move and normally according to german constitution like theoretically it's you're not allowed to raise your arm in the hitler mm -hmm. salute or to say those things or to carry those symbols mm -hmm. but the, the police look the other way because and you know what, and like, what's the reasoning for that because they don't want because For example, if it's a if it's a protest march by the by the Nazis, the police's job, like the way they understand their job, is to protect whoever is marching okay. and their freedom of speech, and then in that case, protect them from the violent anti anti fascist, which is us. I mean, mm. I don't know. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like they think that their job is to avoid confrontation, and since the Nazis are the ones who registered that march, they should be. I mean, this mm. is like the police logic, right? They think they should be allowed to walk in peace. Yeah. And whoever is like protesting and, you know, is the troublemakers. Is there no shame? Like, I mean, like, I, I'm just imagining, like, if since it's in public, like, people can videotape and point people out who are doing the mm -hmm. high Hitler signs, mm -hmm. no? Mm -hmm. And people have, and nothing has Nothing's come of it. Happened. Nothing has come of it. And it's actually quite a, yeah. And like there's there's this there's there's so much footage, so mm. so much footage and photos of these Nazis like doing the Hitler salute, mm. and and nothing comes comes of it. Yeah. And there's also you know I mean also it's fairly there's a long history in Germany of like police being very right wing. I mean that's in most places, of course. Yeah. But like in Germany, there's but like police is is, is incredibly white. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there's maybe I would say I would say it's over ninety percent white, probably more. Mm. Actually, probably more, probably like ninety five percent. And then you might have like a few. I don't know. You 
might have a few like light skin non-black people of color mm. i don't know and maybe then i don't know maybe in all of germany you have like two asian cops and like three yeah. black cops i, I don't even know germany is like, a very white place but yeah it's, it's super mean, super super white exactly like so to, it's a different to find people of color here i feel yeah you know, i was like i remember i went to london mm. in december to visit a friend yeah and just like everywhere i walked i was like oh another person of color oh like i didn't i was just like sure and just, like you'll but here here's like i Depending where I go, I mean, we're we're at Neukölln and Neukölln and Kreuzberg area. Like you can see, somewhat more diversity, but yeah. so like outside of that, it's like I just expect to see white people. Exactly, absolutely, yeah. And so, of course, that creates that completely normalized. Well, not if the police is almost entirely white, you know, what do you think will happen yeah. in terms of like they will aid if. Um, if there's racist violence happening or like racist speech or something, A, they will not notice. Mm-hmm. They will deny that it happened because it's too much hassle for them to go to. They might share those views as well because they, after all, they are the police yeah. and people of color are highly criminalized in Germany yeah. and highly policed. And therefore that creates like that com- contributes to the stigma yeah, yeah. against people of color here. It's like, yeah, sure, if in your in your, in your stupid like drug raids in Garlitzer Park or whatever, you only go for black people, you're gonna th- they're gonna be convinced that Do they do drug raids in Garlitzer Park? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Every time and I then pass they by go, there it doesn't seem like No, sometimes they do, they do and then they will lit- they will just as uh, accost anybody who's black. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's just a random person yeah. walking past. Like it happened to my friends so often. Yeah. But um if they police according to that to your racist mindset mm-hmm they will have confirmation bias, right? Yeah, of course. Because of, because then it's like literally this white guy here is a dealer, but you're not going to cost him, so he's yeah. not going to be in your statistics, right? Yeah. Things like that. But yeah, so like this creates a lot of issues and like the way that the police has um, handled, like in my experience and that of many others as well, like the way they act in those situations when there's Nazis, I find they- indefensible. And I think, I don't think it's, and sometimes, yeah, the actual like ignoring of, of, um, of like Nazis doing Hitler salutes at us and like, you know, looking us in the eyes, doing Hitler salutes, like those things, the police will look the other way. So yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's not different than the US, right? Hmm? This is not that much different from the US. It's not that much different in the US. In the Charlottesburg or any of the, any of like the recent marches that has happened. Yeah. You know? Sure. Sure. It's in, in while well, the the US like there's just a different there's different statistics there's different numbers yeah there's more people of color there's also more people of color in the police which doesn't well, I mean the police is horrible it's still, white, it's still yeah. super super horrible right but um there's like slightly different racial dynamics yeah and I wasn't saying the same I just meant like the police will turn a blind eye yeah totally to it, right? totally it's like yeah. But like you'd see, like in the US, you might see some some black cops. I mean, I don't, know. I don't like any cops, but you know, um, here like this, j- just because nobody will, like, there will never be a Christopher Dorner here because they wouldn't even be let into the to the police force, mm. right? And and also like especially especially the right police in Germany tends to be recruited from hooligan circles and hooligan circles in really? Germany, yeah. And hooligan circles are usually like very, like yeah, football yeah, hooligans are yeah, usually yeah. very right wing, and huh. you know there's many cases like the case of I don't know if you heard of the case of Uri Jallo, 
Mm-mm. who was a, a migrant from Sierra Leone, I believe, mm-hmm. who died in police custody several years ago. And the police to this day deny. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, I have to. I have to give like a content note because I'm about to like describe something, but um, they they arrested him, put him in police custody, um, handcuffed him, put him on a, on a bed, and the next morning, oh, he's burned. He died. He burned. He burned to death, oh, handcuffed shit. on a on a mattress in a police cell. And to this day, the police maintain that he set himself on fire. It's like, mm. how? He didn't have a lighter, mm. right? Like the, it's it's like there's there's like horrific cases like that that um, are to this day not solved because like also like the, because like there's not enough people in the German public to say we to yeah. put pressure on the government yeah. because it is a very white place, mm-hmm. and and that's why that of course there's a handful of activists who have been trying to get justice in that case and and a lot of other cases as well for a long long time but they're silenced all the time and they will then be hit with police repression as well all of those things right or like the case of the nsu murders where it was very clear that there was a collusion between can you describe the nsu murders so the nsu murders were so nsu stands for national socialist underground Mm -hmm. which was the name given like a like the name chosen by this network, this group of uh, neo Nazis, who perpetrated a number of murders between two thousand and one and two thousand eleven, I believe, mm-hmm. um, all over Germany in different places, and I think a total of ten people died, mm-hmm. nine of whom were immig- were not white. Like so, one the last one I think was a policewoman, who ended up like in in the crossfire or like mm-hmm. kind, of, but nine I th- and I think. Eight of them were Turkish, and one was Greek, and probably they thought that the Greek man was Turkish, Turkish yeah. because you know they can't tell the difference. Anyway, but they so and these were targeted, clearly racist murders, mm-hmm. and the especially the Turkish community from the beginning was like this is a racist murder, and we're we're telling the police like look look like this, and it happened again, and like there's clear oh, pattern yeah. there, and the police instead of investigating it as a, as a hate crime, as a racist murder, started investigating the communities themselves. Because they, of course, um, because in Germany, Turkish communities are super criminalized. And and so the police started investigating the families of people who had mm. been killed, of the murder victims, which is so gross, mm-hmm. and were like, you know, suspecting them and were suspecting them of, of, of like being in gangs and everything and of like, of lying, of mm-hmm. making up the story that it was racist. And the press also treated it really horribly. Like they, the press tweeted, called, named that series of murders the, the Döner Morde. Mm. So. Morde is murder? No, no. Döner is Döner. like Döner, Döner kebab, Döner right? Kebab, Which yeah. is like, uh, like in a way, like the cheap fast food. Yeah, yeah food you buy in Germany which is like seen with very very low yeah. has a very low standing it's super cheap you know and it's it's a it's based on Turkish food but adapted for 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 German consumption yeah, yeah. anyway so it's for example if you call if in the US you call something like the tortilla murders or something mm-hmm. it's just horrible like yeah, but the Döner murders exactly okay. the Döner murder and um ultimately like when they finally you know when there were like too many people to, to who had when the the pattern became impossible to negate so anyway after a while they they found these three people 
And the, investi- the state investigation concluded that it was only those three people. Mm-hmm. Two of them, the two men, uh, killed themselves, and that there was only one woman left, and her trial happened um, last year. And it was, you know, it was a big trial, actually, with like 10, 10 victims and 10 different legal teams, in a way. And then the the outcome of that trial is like, okay, now she's going to be sentenced to, I don't know, prison. I don't know if it's life in prison or something. And then now we're done. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it is impo- it's impossible that only three people could have, could have um, planned the series of murders mm. because like each case shows that there were other people involved. Yeah. There are super suspicious and neglectful, um, cases of neglect in the investigations Mm -hmm. that have not been investigated because normally you should really like if there's a clear case of neglect investigation of like not securing this or that evidence or something whoever like the police should also be investigated that has all of that stuff hasn't been done Mm -hmm. because Germany doesn't want to reckon with the fact that there is so much racist violence here Mm. right I was like and it's also like we were I think we were talking about how like people are afraid to use the word race right Mm -hmm. Rasa yeah. How like Germans are afraid to even use it in discussions, mm-hmm. which is, to me I think this is like another level of ignorance or and lack gas- of a lack of acknowledgement that there is such a thing as race and gaslighting. Because basically, mm. by saying "oh, it doesn't exist," it also means you're all making it up. Yeah, right. And 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 you're the problem for talking about the yeah. problem, and like you're the racist for calling about for, for talking about race. Yeah. And I feel like the level of white fragility here is is even stronger than in the US. I don't know. Yeah. If you, I don't hard, know if you've noticed it. It's but hard for they, well, I think it's hard for me because I haven't met any. I think because I'm. I think you were talking about this earlier, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. a power to speaking English, right? Right. And so yeah. I think you're saying like a lot of immigrants and non-German but English-speaking people realize there's a power to speaking English because mm-hmm. you you inherently speak will probably speak better English than the German mm-hmm. and because English is seen as cooler or mm-hmm. more elite yeah. uh, upper class that like they will be subservient to you. So I haven't had mm-hmm. that discussion. I and probably would acknowledge, I probably see it more if I yeah. spoke German better, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And also by the way, like this standing of German of English language, I think also comes from the Americanization of Germany after the war. Mm. Right, because like for a long time there was like because the U.S. really went to great lengths to create this this um, pro-American stance. How did they do that? Hmm? How did they do that? Through a lot of things like education, mm. um, media, and everything. They did the same in Japan as well. Mm. Like to create an ally to orient uh, Germany and Japan towards um, you know being like super pro-America and and seeing it as like the epitome of cool. And, and all of that, like it's because for, for example, like the um, in France, the the cultural standing of English is different. Well, French it's, people, it's changing French a little bit hate, now, hate but for a long, long time there was like such a big resistance. Yeah. Whereas um, Germans were always like very eager. Yeah. Well, I mean, not all of them, but yeah. And you think that was through American propaganda? Hmm? That's through American propaganda. Um, I would not even say the word propaganda. Like it's it's the des- how they rebuild the country. Mm-hmm. It's the design. Like it's not just propaganda. It's like like the way that the U.S. intervened, let's say, in post-war reconstruction in Germany and Japan was was like some of it was ad hoc. But like there was, of course, the it was about fashioning these places to become 
to embody or, or amplify American ideas about democrat- democracy. And by that, they didn't really mean, by, by that, they just wanted to like, it, it's to impose an American view of what democracy should be. And they did that by, is it because did they implement the government system here post-World War II? No, I mean, like in, in Japan, they did that. And here there was a lot more like negotiation with okay. Germans. But like in terms of, for example, the, like the, like certain, certain media, certain media patterns, certain um, ideas about, I don't know, music, popular, popular culture, things like that. And also, and also with, with um, Americans being present all the time Mm. because of the military stations, Mm. right? Like they were also, I mean, this is also very interesting. For example, like the history of techno in Berlin is also like a lot of, there was a lot of soldiers who brought music, rock and roll from the US, Mm -hmm. right? And who then started DJing or different things. Like those things are super fascinating. But there was a lot more closeness to American culture in Mm. Germany than for example, in France, right? And and anyway, there's also like, because because the US is like such a strong economic and world power, yeah. that the, it's it's a different, it's different if you come and speak American English or Canadian or mm-hmm. British English, than if you come and you speak um, Indian English. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. going, you're going to meet a different, yeah. a, a, a different um, reaction. There's a different hierarchy created for those mm-hmm. different yeah. I guess origins of where the English comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. And it's odd. Like I also like have different reactions from Germans if they, if they think I'm American or if they realize that I, sp- if they realize I speak German, they're usually like a bit upset. <laughs> they're upset because, because they hoped you were American? Or? No, because they feel tricked oh, okay. or something. And it's like, why should I, why yeah. should I disclose? I mean, it's yeah. like, what? I don't know. Yeah. It's qu- It's quite weird. And also with me, it really, did, I mean, and, and I know it's also a privilege to be able to like have fluid identities like that, but like depending on how I dress, for example, I will be read very differently. Yeah. Like it's very different if I have my hair covered with a scarf, if it's raining, for example, then people will assume I'm hijabi. If I'm not at all, I have no clue what it's like to be, you know. Yeah. Or if in the summer I wear like tiny clothes and like really colorful things and I look like a, like an American hipster, mm. it's going to be a different, yeah. it's going to be a different reaction. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a bit, it's, yeah, it's quite odd, but um, yeah, as I said, like it is, it is a privilege to not be pushed into only one category at all times. But here, for example, what I meant with like the fragility here is that people here are not used to to facing the fact that they are white. Yeah, they think it's racist to name whiteness. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can't even if you use some. I've had that so often. Like, if I use the word white, yeah. they will be like, "Oh, that's, yeah. that's really racist." Or like, I had this guy in a bar turn around and scream at his friends in despair. He was like, she accused me of being white. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, that's not an insult. Yeah. That's yeah. just a fact. Yeah. Or it's, but they're not used to thinking of themselves outside of yeah. that because. I, that, that, I, would, that, would to, that would be to acknowledge race. Yes. Yeah. Because if I'm like, unlike the US, I mean, the US are like, the, 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 the cognitive dissonance is, is incredible, right? Yeah. But <laughs> they still have to acknowledge that they're not from the, the US. I mean, they were Who? white people. 
They, white people will then go like and say like blah blah we're all immigrants which is not true because yeah. like indigenous people are not immigrants but you yeah, know yeah. whereas like in in places like germany or france or the netherlands or denmark they're like yeah actually they have been here for a long 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 time yeah. so they've completely always thought that they are the standard and everybody yeah. else is a deviation from that yeah. so they are really not used to people naming yeah naming whiteness yeah. as one of several you know, very possible variations. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I've had like pretty ugly incidents where I, you know, whatever, like I end up getting fired or something because you I- You've gotten fired over this? Oh, I've gotten fired so often. Yeah. That's why so often in Germany, I got fired because I was like- That's racist. Yeah. Because I was like, <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to write this social media post asking everybody to- post pictures of themselves in blackface that's racist and they're like oh you don't have team spirit or like i was working at this company where they were in the beginning i didn't have a desk and then they i was like what? so like which desk should i work at and they were like oh you don't need a desk you're japanese you can work on the floor right yeah. and i was like Ugh. and after like if and then i was like kind of and then they, they made other such jokes you know yeah. they were like did you know they're like black people and watermelon and i was like that's racist anyway and then they I mean, right now in America, we're not going. I mean, I only heard the recent news of the, the Democratic, I think, governor of Virginia, who whose yearbook picture was found. I didn't see that. Oh, and his, they someone dug up a yearbook picture from nine from his med school, nineteen eighty four. Mm-hmm. It was a picture of two people. One was blackface, and then one was in the KKK. Oh my god! And then he was like, "I'm not either one of them." But he had no, like, but, like, either choice was, like, bad, you know, right? It's, like, he couldn't pick which one, like, to, to you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, either he's in blackface Ooh. or he's the person in the KKK costume. Yeah. But anyway, oh, so, so people are people telling him to step down and, like, he's, he's, like, I think he's under the, he's running under the guise that there's no proof, there, there's mm-hmm. no way to prove that he was, that was him and it was a mix-up and all these excuses but yeah or it's also it's also unfortunate because you actually literally can't tell right because on the one he's like well yeah i mean it's like it's like you know it's a facebook i mean no it's a yearbook so it's like the picture's like you know it's like really small probably really the contrast small, is really and high and so you can't really black tell and white yeah. And like yeah 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 but sometimes and like, like what, what i've noticed over and over again is that also like if you're the if you're the only person of color in a company. And as I always say, if I am the most exotic thing in your company and you're in your, in the room, that's a huge problem because yeah. I'm still half white. And I'm, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like half white, half East Asian. That's really not that. Yeah. Like you need to try harder for diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is not good tokenizing. I yeah. mean, like that, there's no good tokenizing, but it's like, if that is the diversity, if I am your diversity, you have a, like, no. Anyway, but like, if you're the only one, like, there's nobody to back you up, and yeah. you'll be like, "Oh, I'm not doing that. That's racist." Yeah. Or like, you can't say these things. Or like, please yeah. stop bowing to me every single time we see each other. Yeah. Or like, hello, I've been here for like six months. Maybe you can speak to me in German because I'm actually literally the person translating. Yeah. And then we'll, they'll be like, "Oh, you have an attitude issue. You, yeah. you have a you have an attitude problem. You're not good at communication. Mm-hmm. You're like, you don't really fit with our team spirit." And like, mm-hmm. I've gotten fired so often. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like some, like my old boss would say just like the most vile things and then, you know, say that I was, um, that I just didn't have a good sense of humor. Mm. 
and like you know and also very often like so sometimes these are like these are things directed at me and sometimes and often they're not as well and you know like i would do that again every single time but it's like to even address racism in any form whether it touches you or somebody else who might not be in the room at the time or maybe it's sometimes somebody who's in the room who doesn't speak german and so they will not hear that yeah but it's like there is no structures in place to then defend you from unfair treatment because yeah. you can't go to hr because hr is the guy who told you who bowed and told you about <coughs> kind of asia yeah. right yeah. <laughs> because they like those things just are not in place yet yeah and i don't know like for me i will do do i, I guess i have a question do white germans think they're progressive or they don't think about that oh yeah yeah i think they really do because they do. they've been to they've been to rio rio and they, because they've been Brazil. to rio once and maybe they like did a salsa course once and mm. they love they love uh I, I don't even know they love sushi yeah. the bar is so low yeah. and they are so upset and angry yeah. if you don't give them praise for 24 7 for for telling you they went to china when you just told them you, you know what i mean yeah when you're like i'm japanese yes you're like i don't don't know anything and about it's like china. even even if you don't call if even if you're like just say yeah. you just you know after a while you just don't react anymore and yeah. like it's like they will be like yeah. that is just expecting praise or something yeah but yeah it's like it's it's very the bar is super 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 low and i find it very difficult to address certain things if um for example whiteness is not, is not acknowledged yeah. or if there's no concept of um mm, how racism and capitalism is, is interlinked mm. if there's no discussion about german colonialism and the transatlantic slave trade and how all these different places in europe benefited from it mm-hmm. and if we if there's no discussion about about these 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 larger forces that create underline like the, the present situation like who who and also like who reconstructed germany it was guest workers right like who who managed for like white german women to become a little bit more empowered mm-hmm. it was because all of a sudden they had guest workers who did the dirty business mm-hmm. who, who did who cleaned their toilets and everything yeah, right yeah. like those kinds of things like and i find german feminine german white feminism particularly exhausting i think they're exhausting everywhere exactly they're super exhausting anywhere but in in in, Germ- in germany there's even fewer when people of color to challenge them mm. in those structures because yeah. the these discussions happen in in bubbles that are already incredibly white and middle class yeah oh uh, yeah and so there will be fewer people even there and the the people who are there have been systemat- systematically erased and marginalized yeah. like there's been there's been like non white people in germany for a long time there's been black people in germany for a very long time but they're not even present in in consciousness yeah and um, yeah, that's why I find it very difficult to have a productive discussion. And then there's like, yeah, like additional challenges of of language, of class, of educational classes we were talking about before. Because, for example, fluency in English is a class issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so people who've been segregated out of the, who've been segregated out of like, of education or higher education at a young age, might not be might not be super fluent in English and they might do super amazing work, right, in the mm-hmm. communities and as activists. Yeah. They're not gonna get invited on that panel. Yeah. 
that that is going to be in English yeah. at like that fancy art institution or something. And like I've seen how progressive white liberals react to to Europeans of color who speak English haltingly with an accent. I've seen how they react and how they get exasperated. How they don't slow down when they talk to people. It's like these things like we all need to make an effort. Yeah. And the effort shouldn't be entirely on the on the on the shoulders of of one group. And they shouldn't be discredited for not um yeah, I don't know. For not doing more, if they're already the ones doing the most, mm. it's yeah, it's really difficult. And so, like, because my 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 work, like, normally, ideally, I would want to discuss all of these things in in an academic realm and in art, but I found little, yeah, I, I found yeah. fewer avenues, and also, in a way, it would for me, it would be a waste of time to be honest, because then what? Then I would end up like educating really privileged people, yeah. And in the end, um, I'd be the only one benefiting, yeah. Right. So so far, I don't know. I've decided to put more energy into community work and activism and like stuff that I do anonymously or like so as that part the of collectives. Plans? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm not quite sure. Like I'll probably. I also don't know how long I will stay in Germany. Although I've, I've been saying that for a long time, but <laughs> it's a nice city to like to live somewhat comfortably. I think you know it's like relatively affordable. It's relatively a lot of things to do for a city. Like, and it, it is definitely um, like I wouldn't, for example, I wouldn't be able to do as much unpaid work as I do here because like community yeah. work and activism is an art, like to a large extent is like is unpaid yeah. work. Like I wouldn't be able to do these things if I lived, let's say, in London. Yeah. Um. So yes, yeah, it is. But but it's still a pretty rough rough place. Like yeah. and maybe and also Berlin is not the, is unlike the rest of Germany, but it still is in Germany, yeah. right? So. I don't know, for me and like for many people, for example, it's just so fucking frustrating to hear the news of the NSU trial, for example, because mm. that is another, like every day when we follow the news and we are, we see like how these structures are being perpetuated. We hear about everybody being like all the numbers of people getting deported mm. and like how the AFD, the far right party is getting more and more powerful and what do the, what do the liberals do? They do a concert, right? And they pat themselves on the back, and they're like, like in Chemnitz, for example. Uh-huh. Like after all of these like incredibly violent neo-Nazi programs, the what what German liberals and like musicians did was to like have like a free open air concert in Chemnitz mm. with the hashtag We Are More, mm. and it's like okay, that's cool. But what you're saying is that don't worry about these Nazis. We, the liberals, mm-hmm. are more. And it's like I don't know if you're really. I don't know if that's really true. To be honest, yeah. eh? You just have you just have more money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like that's not helping. To it's 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 one of many things, but that is not the solution. Yeah. To like what? Then you're gonna do a, a, an open air concert for a bunch of like twenty year old, twenty twenty somethings yeah. and thirty somethings. Yeah. Which is like, okay, cool. And they're like, oh, yeah, we hate Nazis, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like, to go and do a party for it. Yeah, is how do you not... move forward? How, mm. how do you actually politically move forward? And if it's basically then what happens is that it's going to, 
like okay so for example that hap- that's the that's the common pattern like horrible things happen let's say like the neo nazi programs in in Chemnitz and all these other places um you know like jewish shops getting assaulted like like people like by yeah. by people getting beaten up by nazis and then you get all of these white li- german white liberals saying oh but we are against we are against racism yeah okay that's cool and and then what and then nothing and yeah. then we see in the we see the next like in the next elections or the next trends of like how the afd is getting bigger and bigger and like yeah. these different things happen or like the very disappointing results in the cases of Uri Jalo or the NSU murders. Mm. So that's why I'm like, I don't know about this country, you know? Where do you want to go? Hmm? Where do you, where, where would you like to go? Mm, I don't know. It's a hard question. Yeah. I was asking a friend that. Too. I don't quite know, but like I would, um, I would love to go to a place where I can actually do my theoretical, my academic work, mm. where it could be understood right, in context with, in mm. the tradition of like, decolonial intersectional feminists mm. work that is you know in, in in a marxist tradition that is has has you know that also understands that research can be done from a position of being somebody who's affected because mm. in my case i mean my, my work is is in a way about like re, about legacies of col- japanese colonial violence yeah Right, because like I have to look into my own background as well. Yeah. Like the French and the Japanese wing have France and Japan as a very both countries have super violent racist histories mm-hmm. that are routinely, you know, yeah. um, ignored and um, and erased. So for me, it's important to do that work as well. And we have a fantastic set of tool, like a theoretical toolkit developed by by decolonial yeah. feminists and thinkers yeah. and doers. Many of whom also are also like not acknowledged in the academy, and maybe they will be seen as relevant for like that, this field, but will not be seen as 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 philosophers in their own right. Yeah. At least this is the problem in my institution that I'm at right now. So ideally, I would love to be able to go and do my academic work in a context where this would be more understood. And I think, and it's not going to be in Germany. Or in in uh, non Europe, not not in continental not in continental Europe, perhaps in London. Who knows? But I would also like to be in a space where it's more understood that, like, art is important. Like that, all of these things work together. Yeah. That like doing art can connect to theory, can connect to community work, can connect to mm. activism. Yeah. But I don't know, you know, like doing an artwork about somebody else's trauma, that's mm-hmm. not activism. No, that's appropriation. Yeah, and I mean that's unfortunately that's, that's, all, pretty... that's all of like socially engaged art. I feel mm-hmm. exactly, <clears throat> and like I, I think those are very fascinating questions to discuss. Like who benefits in those like ally in in the ally market? Yeah. In the in the mar- in the theater and marketplace of allyship, what kind of values are being created? Mm-hmm. Um, who becomes a resource? Who whose resources are getting extracted? How? Yeah, yeah. And some and, you know and like it's and those are neo-colonial um, formations of power and violence in a way, right? Yeah. Like sometimes, and the, I've seen this in Berlin a lot in the art world, and it's very alarming that maybe some people will be mined 
are poached for the trauma. Oh yeah, no, that happens in the US right? all the time. Exactly. All the time. And then they will be poached for the trauma that can elicit tears. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, among privileged people mm-hmm. who then feel a sort of um, release, yeah. effective release. And yeah. I think that is the value. Yeah. That is the product. That is the thing that then gets circulated. Yeah. And then like that artwork where you like, I don't know, stick a camera in like a refugee's face and ask them to yeah. explain over and over again the most horrible thing that ever happened to them yeah. will be shown in different places because then all these people will cry and then they feel better by themselves. And yeah. then they, but like, then what do they do? Nothing. Yeah. Then they may, may, it will not necessarily, you know, move people to put pressure on the government, like, and deportations yeah. or something. It will just make them feel like good people because yeah. they cried a little bit. Well, I mean, it's catering to an ignorant white crowd. Yeah. And like empathy is important, right? And touching somebody emotionally, I think is important, but yeah. it's, and that can be a start. I'm not dissing that entirely, but I think it should connect to actual political action or to concrete solidarity. It shouldn't just be that just because you feel sad is enough. That's not enough. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's... it is important to feel empathy. It's important to connect on a, on a human level. Yeah. There's, I guess there's, for me, there's always a suspiciousness when you have like the white savior, mm-hmm. but then it gets complicated also because a lot of times it's, it sometimes seems like sometimes people of color who do the same type of work get sucked up in that capitalistic system. And then they're no oh, yeah. different than the white, the idea of the white savior, you know? And Un- unfortunately I've ended up like in, in a few projects that, that I realized were centering white feelings yeah. Rather than empowerment yeah. of um, people of color. Yeah. And maybe because that's the only pos- the only possibility, but that's really sad. I know. If we pull all of our resources, instead of uplifting each other and creating new spaces in begging white people to care or saying thank you for the most basic things. Yeah. Like, like giving medals for what? For for not being a horrible not being racist. person, yeah. for not looking the other way. It's yeah. like, that should be a given. And it's like, I know it's not common knowledge. And like, I know it's like, you know, I still feel great, grateful when people do it, but I, I wouldn't create an entire art project yeah. out of like literally creating yeah. medals and giving them to yeah. people in a, in a perform, in a ceremony. It's like, what? Yeah. Or I don't know. And that's where like, I would love to be in a context where, these questions can be discussed with mm. it. And I, I get that they're very abstract sometimes as well, but they're, they're not necessarily academic questions. Like mm. people have been dealing with those, those questions for a long time. Like who benefits yeah. from cultural appropriation, exoticism, and what are the more complex forms of um, appropriation and like shaping narratives themselves? Like how can the curatorial itself be, yes, it can be emancipatory, but it can also be uh, oppressive. Mm-hmm. How to shape certain narratives and you know, like who speaks for whom, blah blah blah, all of that. Like those are very are super super relevant questions, and I would like to be able to do them in a like intellectual community or activist community, or, you know, community in general yeah. of people with more diverse backgrounds not just white feminists because yeah. like yeah. this is not really going anywhere yeah and yeah it's odd 
like as long as I'm in Berlin, of course, I will always do everything I can for my communities here and like in solidarity with others because I do have so many, you know, having an EU passport is a huge privilege. Yeah. So I can go and I can go and protest. I can go and get arrested. Yeah. It'll suck, but I'm not going to get deported yeah. because I have a EU citizenship. Yeah. Or I can find certain things much more easily because I speak German. Yeah. Or I have like, I had like certain things and then I can like help by offering free translations i don't know like all kinds of things yeah. so as long as i'm here i totally will do it yeah but like i'm not even allowed to vote in this country you're not no like i'm well, not allowed you, to vote you have an eu passport though i what? can vote in the local elections but i can't vote in the uh um, german one main mm-hmm. german ones mm-hmm. why, why not what what country are you because you're are you considered I french have, i have french citizenship uh, uh, okay exactly okay and so it's also a bit odd, I mean, you know, like yeah. I, I've had a lot of trouble even getting like some of my French diplomas recognized here. Like actually it's, 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 it's turned into like a huge, um, Cause they think that it's stolen, issue. stolen, a stolen passport or. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just because, um, because it, it, it used to not have the same name, you know, like masters, like. Oh, like the BAMA uh, system is an American, is an Anglo system. Yeah, yeah. And like all of the different countries are different things before. Mm-hmm. And it's very, fairly recent or I don't know, like there's different, anyway, there's different things. Or like my birth certificate, which is like in, in the Netherlands, it's really not that complicated. Yeah. But so if I'm already running into so many, into like so many bureaucratic, absurd yeah. bureaucratic hurdles coming from like these, and these are. And coming from someone who speaks German and is mm, educated. Right, exactly. It's like I can only imagine. I mean, I can't even imagine what how much yeah. more complicated yeah. it is for people who come with like diplomas written in languages that are not that I not not commonly sp- spoken that come from like the global south. That um, also people who lost their dipl- their diplomas yeah. or different things, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, as long as I'm here, I will continue to to do as much as I can, and I probably will invest more energy in actual community work and activism than in academia or like you know like the posh art world because i think i realized those are not actually open for us yeah and you know like they might be open like for a short term for like a short term token who will maybe talk about racism in the u.s but like as soon as you make the like like they might germans might be ready to talk about like racism and like your other people's point of view from far away mm-hmm. and those are very important points of views but yeah. like might not be ready to look at the at how their own institution and their own position benefits from racism within mm. Germany, right? Yeah. And if you know too much about like the history of police looking the other way or institutions being complicit in certain things, all of that, they will be not so welcoming to that critique coming from inside. Yeah. yeah. Like they'd much rather get tokens who yeah. are further awake and who can yeah. talk about that issue as yeah. another an other yeah somewhere else but i think we we can totally connect all these different issues yeah right but i feel like the the narrative that is usually very welcome here that is the most welcome here is like they they're going to want somebody coming from the global south to say oh i came to germany because it's what is a global south africa is that what you mean by global south global south is like what is coded as what is usually what was previously well, what some people called third world countries that are mostly in the southern hemisphere. Okay, so South America, Africa, Australia? No, no, no. actually, actually not Australia, but um, India. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and there's um, 
Well, but also actually like also people coming from like the Arab world or like from other places, yeah. they will want actually like what what is very welcome here is um anything that praises Germany and praises Berlin libera- liberalness. Yeah, yeah. You know? And America's the same. They want people mm-hmm. praising white liberals. And that's gonna be the that's gonna be the tokens that they want. Yeah. And then they'll be like, they will just want to have like a bunch of people who say, Danke Mama, thank you, Mama Merkel, but they're really not welcoming for like any sustained critique of yeah. like long-term things. And so what you will see is that you like, you will maybe like newcomers, like people who fit, who fit the narrative of the white savior and of like the oppressed brown person, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. oppressed person who um, has to flee like a backward society. Yeah. Like that's going to be the narrative that is usually upheld yeah. here. But that's why also like the voices of, let's say, Afro-German people or people who can point to, who know the the place very, very well and who will be, have a much, uh, a more in-depth critique are not so welcome, I think. And I, and I think it's important to have all of these different perspectives. Yeah. You know, like it shouldn't be that like, oh, you can only speak if you've been here for like 12 years. Like, yeah. no, that's ridiculous. Like everybody should, um, like we can connect a lot of that. And also like the the narrative that Germany and Berlin, like that liberal Germans are so in love with that like they accepted so many asylum seekers and all of that. Yeah. A, it only happened because people were putting pressure on Merkel because she didn't want it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That was definitely not the plan in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And also because a lot, it was because a lot of the civil society mobilized and did the things that, and, you know, did the things that the state should have done or like said that, you know, yeah. ma- ma- made it clear. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people were people who are not white Germans. And that is constantly erased in the yeah. media in Germany and abroad is that so many of these initiatives to um, help make Germany a more welcoming place for people who were arriving, um, especially since 2014, 2015. A lot of these were helmed and organized by people with a migrant background, as they say, yeah, yeah. in Germany, yeah. right? Like, And some of them might be Germans of of color, or some of them are immigrants, yeah. but people who remember how bad it was, how difficult it was at the beginning, and that's why we, you know, that's yeah. why we organized to create, yeah. to create that. And because in the media it was constantly presented as like, oh, Germans are so, you know, Germans, yeah. Uh, yeah. that created really great publicity for Germany, and that's why that also changed the minds of like, you know, politicians. We say, okay, okay, maybe we can do it. Maybe yeah. this is making us look really good in the world, and you know, and also like there was enough space, you know, there's enough resources. Yeah. And I mean, then like and also, something, and, and also resources. It seems like at least a lot, enough resources to help people settle in more easily. Yeah, yeah. Know? And also, like German German economy needs more people. Yeah, because I was talking to an Italian guy in my in my my Volkshochschule, and he was mm. he was just saying like the system that he sees that Germany has in place. If you're, um, you know, seeking asylum, mm. um, seems to allow for at least a smoother transition than he says if they're going to Italy where like it, the Italian government yeah. can't even take care of its own citizens. Yeah, yeah, so how's totally. it going to take care yeah. of like, yeah. you know, people seeking asylum? He was oh, like, totally. he was like, there, you know, there's a reason why like when he looks around and goes to the Volkhochschule, he's like, it's kind of amazing that you see all these people, they enroll in class. They're, you know, told they have to take this many different classes for free. 
Mm, no, 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 no. I mean, that's only like many people have to wait for a long time to be allowed to even start learning German. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, and and that that's horrific, right? Like there's a lot of people who come to Germany and they're like, A, they're not allowed to like leave a certain perimeter mm. and they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed, allowed to work German, to mm. learn German. What do you want to do? Like, of course, they're going to like get super depressed yeah. or... Mm. Or, yeah, but yes, and then like after, and so that's why a lot of the civil society was organizing free German lessons, right? Mm. Because the state wasn't doing it or they were organizing like, I don't know, other things. Yeah. Like, I don't know, childcare or things like that. Yeah. Or, or um, help translating, like all of these different yeah. initiatives that came together to create structures that actually should have been there. And yeah. like, there's definitely enough resources, but, but yeah, that. That wasn't there, and like the transition here is definitely not smooth, but it's it's and it, it's pretty bad, but it's still the probably less bad than in other places. Yeah, like it's a lot worse, I think, in France or in Italy, and like for example, Greece doesn't have the resources because yeah. they've been <coughs> sacrificed and like by Germany, <coughs> right? Yeah, and and yet Greek people have been like a lot of Greek people have been like really really helpful, but yeah, so like there's a lot of um. Like the attempts of like solidarity and self empowerment will still be, like em empowerment and solidarity with others will still be appropriated and transformed to to fit the needs of to fit into that narrative and yeah. profit yeah. the white savior narrative. Yeah. And also, there is no mention like there's very little mention of there's always mention of like oh so and so many people were except were allowed to enter Germany, mm -hmm. but so and so many people were deported, mm. are being deported all the time yeah. and like sent back to places that where it's, it's just really not safe. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. So it's quite odd. So those are the things that like, when you see that happening nonstop on a large scale in Germany and like you can, it might also have to deal with like, of course, with language, I guess, like the kind of, circles you're connected to but that's pretty frustrating on the long long term because you don't see anything change yeah right and like a lot of the some of the things i've organized have been then appropriated and used to fit the white narrative yeah, used in, in a different context mm -hmm. yeah to fit the white even yeah. though i was like no no none of us are german yeah. right and yeah. they still took the thing and ran with it saying that it was a Germans, white german project yeah and like then of course we're gonna end up doing things that are underground mm. because it's, it doesn't yeah. really work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting for a while. Do you want to I don't know, promote anything? I don't know if you want me to you wanna promote your social media or if you wanna keep it sort of off of yeah, your that's website. Fine. I, mean, I don't really I don't really have like social media like that. I mean I have my own presence which is um, sometimes related to what I do, sometimes completely random. Sometimes just about my personal life. Sometimes about my research or something. Mm. My website in which I try to document what I do is my name, so ninyamamotomasson.com. And on that, I try to also link to like more like also like essays and writings. Yeah. Mm. I saw a few like snapshots of your films, but I, I couldn't find any actual. Uh, it's also because, like, for some of them, I like actually lost. Like, I can't locate uh, the, uh, the big okay. the, the oh, files. I, I wanted to ask about mm. that, but yeah. But yeah, so if I can't, like, I'll I'll try to to build it up more and like have more more yeah. content on there. Okay. All right. But yeah, so far as this, like, in in a way, so far I'm like I've been more focusing on on things on the ground. Mm -hmm. 
I would say, like, and like there's a bunch of of um, legal cases that I'm working on currently that are also linked to like these like intersectional mm. issues that I will probably in the end that I will probably write about that I probably also that will feed into like theoretical mm. observations and everything. But currently, my main focus is not like career or something because I realized here it's not really it's not really like for for me currently I see more more urgency in in action yeah. and connecting with other activists other people who have a goal for the community rather than to try to make a name for myself in this or that art scene or academia I think currently this like there's too much of an urgency to fight white supremacy and different forms of violence that like modes of collective action and like anonymous action are probably more powerful right now we all do what we can with the skills that we have right? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and oh yeah and, and also have like um a radio show called news from the sun okay that i will or a podcast that it will probably turn into a podcast now okay. but that is also all linked on my website okay mm-hmm. what, what's that podcast about it's about um Actually, initially, it started off being about like ideas of time, like thinking about time in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Like it can be from like thinking about science fiction narratives of like mm-hmm. elasticity of time, or like different philosophies about time in different mm. cultural contexts or something. It can be. Are you interviewing people? Or are you just are you sort of talking? Monologue? In the beginning, I was interviewing. I was talking, and then it became like far too much work. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, <laughs> so much it's work. A lot, a, a so, lot to talk by yourself for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you know, like it's it's really fascinating, but like I can't do that without yeah. getting any kind of like funding for it. Yeah. So like now it's most it's been mostly interviews, mm-hmm. and uh, I will in the upcoming month also probably be doing more interviews with um, Asian feminists or like feminists in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm going to Japan next like fairly soon and will be there for a while. We'll be also conducting research, mm. so I hope I'll be able to. Yeah, to also gather a bit more information and like just be able to 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 talk to interesting people and yeah, share yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. I think people in the West don't really know that much about about anti-imperialist, um, anti-fascist actions or movements, or positions in Asia. Mm. Yeah, right? like we know about certain anti-anti-fascist Asian positions in. Let's say North America, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Like, there's really there's great organizations, there's great people, but there's little knowledge of like the 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 different historical contexts, like the work worker struggles yeah, in different yeah. places, or like how it's connected to the histories of um, colonialism in Asia, yeah. or like U.S. imperialism. Yeah. So I'm trying to to collect a bit more on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I probably will have to head soon because. I yeah. Yeah. Really have to no, no. To, to the other place. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, was, I thought we were ending up, but yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nin. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, 
and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.